Chapter 11 Endangered Part 10 by LTPC Chapter 11 Michelle watched the bedraggled refugees whispering together in small groups out on the dusty industrial floor. The huge space was part of an abandoned fertilizer factory just beyond the outskirts of the small city nearest the disastrous spectacle of Roddick's ambush. Traces of the acidic phosphate chemical still lingered on the vast concrete floor, on the corrugated sheet metal walls. Despite this inconvenience, it had seemed the perfect place to sequester the traumatized witnesses while the Argentinian government scrambled to make arrangements for their care. Thinking of these people as refugees seemed distasteful, but they fit the description well enough. Fleeing the indiscriminate use of magic, they even had that defeated look in their tired eyes. Others bore the signs of physical trauma, dried blood still caked on their rumpled, sweat-stained clothing. They were all dirty, scratched, haggard, and traumatized at the very least. Michelle's team had to treat six for shock symptoms. Her own eyes felt swollen and full of sand, their lids taking any moment of an attention as an invitation to flutter inexorably downward. You can go get some rest now, you know, Lillian said incorporeally beside her. I don't think there will be any more escape attempts. No. Michelle stood straighter, using the back of her hands to rub some life back into her face. No thanks, we're almost out of here. How did we do? Good, I think. Our fake was received about as well as could be expected, but it's definitely not over yet. The story has only been out for a few hours. Just one of these people could blow it all sky high. Not so long ago, we would have just killed them all. The memory charm might seem barbaric, but it saved a lot of human lives over the centuries. The vampire surveyed the small crowd, 57 souls who would be spending the next part of their lives in captivity. I know what you mean, but that's exactly why things have to change. Michelle said resolutely. They both turned as Rayla approached, accompanied and announced by the sound of Pamela's crutches. Well, look what wonders a visit from the defense minister and a little food can do. The elf remarked sourly down toward the refugees. For a while there I was worried we were going to have to make a few examples of the savages. Never should have kept them in one place like that, not after what they'd been through. The lean, freckled markswoman remarked. It was only natural they mounted an organized escape. You're right, Pamela. But it's over now, and we'll try not to make the same mistake again. Michelle sighed. I'm just glad no one got killed. I honestly thought we had them convinced. We were reasonable, we explained. Didn't we? There's only so much trust in the human heart. Pamela murmured like some crippled sage. When people like you and I show up in the wake of a crisis, foreigners, especially Americans, they assume they're going to be killed or sent to a bottomless hole somewhere. Add the supernatural, and the myriad crises of faith that drags along with it, scared people, fighting for their lives. Michelle nodded. Well, they weren't wrong, were they? Lillian looked down on the bedraggled souls. They're going to a bottomless hole somewhere. A rumble outside announced the approaching buses. Soon the witnesses of Roddick's hard-fought escape would be rolling off to a decommissioned barracks complex several hundred miles away. They were to be housed there out of contact with their families or the outside world until the revelation was announced. Representatives of both the Argentine government and the Synod were arranging for their welfare and monitoring. Provided they didn't cause trouble, the refugees were to be compensated handsomely upon their release and returned to their lives. Michelle's sympathy for them had peaked, troughed abruptly, and now leveled out. They were in a terrible situation, through no fault of their own. Stemari and the Baldriff hadn't helped, roughly mustering them up like errant cattle in the aftermath of dispatching the mythical bunyip. She should have seen it coming, should have planned, but she hadn't thought no wonder then that they tried to make a break for freedom at 2 a.m. that morning. Michelle understood now that they'd had no reason to trust her assurances. Even without the blatant and terrifying use of magic they'd witnessed, she and her team must seem the stereotypical intelligence agency bad guys. The exact character they'd seen depicted in so many movies. But they'd so very nearly gotten away and blown her cobbled-together plan out of the water that she no longer saw them just as victims. The young mother, Claudia, was limping down there. Her eye socket was just starting to properly darken up. She and her son picked through the remains of breakfast laid out on the improvised pallet table perhaps looking for a morsel or two to take with them on the road. The memory of running those two down was still vivid and frightening. The pain of her injuries, throbbing and fresh, Michelle's heart began to thump louder as she recalled that headlong chase through the dark field of soybeans and down into a dry, stony waterway. The woman rounding on her in the light of the moon, fighting tooth and nail, 
like her offspring's life depended on it. Michelle had been caught off guard, and eventually forced to lay her out. Then she'd raced after the boy and spent ten agonizing minutes trying to find him in the dark before the huge wolf showed up and sniffed out his hiding place. Nearby words drew her exhausted mind sharply to the present. Stemmerize furious. Rayla said seriously, flicking silvery hair behind a dark ear. She dropped her disguise for the healing she'd grudgingly stayed up all night to work. It had actually seemed to calm some of the distraught humans to see some evidence of their claims about beings and magic. Magdalene's taking her off the chase, and there's going to be a full inquiry. Well, there goes our best chance of catching Radek. Lillian's disgust was evident. Those two working together are something to behold, and Balgraf has the demon sent now. I've never heard of anything more idiotic. Lord Guthrie argued against it, but last night, they voted to back off on Radek until after the revelation. Rayla explained. I just got the minutes through on Maginet. They think it's too dangerous to confront him openly again. Maybe it is. Pamela mused. But after what I saw in that church, I'm thinking it's too dangerous not to. You don't win this sort of engagement by sitting idly by and hoping things work out in your favor. Well said. Rayla eyed the human speculatively. Come work for me if Michelle doesn't treat you right. The warehouse's big corrugated iron door banged and began rolling open. Uniformed soldiers were already assembling outside, armed but reasonably relaxed. A couple of army medics strode in and began triage, helping the most battered refugees out to the waiting transports. There were a few who were put on stretchers, Baldriff and Stemari had recaptured most of them, and weren't gentle about it. How you can't have her. Ouch. Michelle winced, her right thigh screaming where Claudia had managed to connect with a large rock in the midst of their nighttime scuffle. Jesus, that hurts. Let's start packing up. We depart already? Rayla seemed confused, a slight frown on her dark brow. Who will keep this rabble in line? Who will clean up that mess out on the highway? Rayla, we need to get back to the States and start selling the shit out of our cover story. Michelle explained tiredly. The locals assure me they've got it under control now. Despite the synod running scared, Balgriff and Stemari will stay around for a few days and help one of their higher-ups investigate. They don't need us anymore. Besides, Chris, the adorable oaf, has managed to light another fire under our asses while we were busy. Daddy, I'm terrified. Haley buried her face against her father's plaid workshirt, hugging him desperately. Sure, pumpkin. How many times have you told me you wanted to work for NASA one day? Stephen chuckled deeply, squeezing his daughter right back. He ruffled her fine blonde hair, winking at Chris over her diminutive height. Think of this as an interview opportunity. Go over there and wow them. You wouldn't want Chris to go face them alone, would you? No, she admitted, looking back at her boyfriend. He seemed too untroubled by this, though. They were supposedly going to see the president, and he'd hardly even bothered getting dressed up. If anything, the dark hoodie he had over his crisp shirt at the moment made him seem more casual than usual. You'll be fine, sweetie. Her mother came to her side and hugged her briefly. I've got to go to work. Make me proud, okay? Haley wasn't sure this was the reaction she'd wanted from her parents. Maybe she'd been hoping they would forbid her from going with Chris save her somehow. They seemed to have suddenly decided she was an adult and should be taking full responsibility for herself. Of course, they had to do it in the most maddeningly supportive way possible. What are you scared of? Stephen teased his daughter good-naturedly. Look at the size of him. No one's going to mess with you or anything. You wouldn't let anything happen to my baby girl, would you, Chris? Ah, no. Absolutely not, Stephen. Chris stood straighter, ignoring the nagging voice in his head that pointed out the several times they'd almost come to a messy end on their trip to the moon. You'll be fine, Haley. I guarantee the science types are going to adore you. I'll be the one they're calling a reckless idiot, and I can make sure it stays that way if I have to. We really need to leave, though. I don't know how long it takes me to get to D.C. Go on, Haley. Her father rumbled. But, Dad? Ah. Young lady, you lost the right to play that card when you got a dragon for a boyfriend and told me you were moving out. What do you expect me to do, huh? I don't know. She shrugged pathetically. Her heart was pounding. She might have put a few cracks in her shell to pursue Chris, but inside, she was still a timid person. The very thought of being confronted by the world's space experts, the president. She shuddered. Humans who no doubt thought she was a freak of nature and... All right, I'll go instead. Stephen sighed heavily. What? She scowled up at her father. 
Chris, take me up to the capital so I can explain how you two did this fusey what you might call it. Dad. Absolutely. Chris laughed. But Stephen, I've got to point out, it was actually an advanced fusey thingy majigi. Big difference. Really? The war bison nodded thoughtfully, scratching his chin. Well, I'm clearly not going to be much use. If only there was, all right. Haley punched her father's broad chest and spun away from him. You're both fucking insufferable dorks, I swear to God. Love you too, pumpkin. Stephen called after his daughter as she stormed through the door into their backyard. Nice one. Chris grinned. Sorry I'm ditching you and the terrible trio today. I'll be there as much as I can for the next few weeks. You're fine, Chris, we're getting close now. Take care of her for me. Stephen couldn't help feeling that this was some sort of pivotal moment. His heart began fluttering as watched his daughter with the young dragon he'd grown to call a friend. Haley looked so beautiful, so grown up. Bundled against the turning weather in her blue long coat, a gray sweater dress, two pairs of black nylons, and her calf-high boots he realized she wasn't just his little girl anymore. The dragon took a knee on the concrete path. Stephen watched the young man take her hand, listened to his calm words of reassurance and encouragement. Haley could be a willful little thing when she didn't want to do something though, and she had always been terribly skittish about strangers. She turned her face away from him, curling inward. He knew for sure then, by the tenderness, the reverence with which Chris put his thumb against her chin and gently forced her to face the world, that this was the right man for his precious, scary smart daughter. Dark, frigid water frothed and churned beneath, savage forces of wind and water fighting a pitched battle that left both enraged. Enormous arctic waves loomed in the darkness, buffeted by the same freezing squalls that threatened to bat her out of the sky like some errant insect. She hadn't done flying like this for centuries, millennia. It felt good to truly test herself once more, to fly like her life depended on it. It had been so long, trapped in that lifeless routine of base survival. Nick's thought of the dragon, counting on his fingers like a child as he tried to explain the year in that ugly new tongue they used. She knew now that it was the twenty-first century after the death of some bearded, sandal-wearing, martyr. If memory served, that's how many fingers he'd counted off on those enormous hands of his, too. That made this her thirty-ninth century and her twenty-eighth in survival-imposed exile.it took only a few days to abandon her island prison saying her goodbyes to the few merfolk she sometimes traded with for fish. Flying east across the sea, she tolerated a brief delay to gather information in her old homeland. The state of dilapidation was too depressing to bear for long. Nix what for a day, perched amongst the dry vegetation on a low slope overlooking the site of ancient Ellis. Once, she captained the night garrison there. It had changed rulers, and she moved on long before her exile, of course. To see it wiped off the face of the earth, though? For some reason, she'd assume time would not have been so cruel to her family's ancient home. Dusty memory was all that remained now. That night, she sent it out and ambushed a young satyr as he walked a dark path down out of the dry hills. The lights and noise of an unknown town drew him, presumably, for a night of frolic. It was comforting that at least that hadn't changed. All evening she'd seen scantily clad young men and women entering strange temples adorned with flashing lights and absurd, thumping music. It seemed a good playground for a lusty satyr. He'd screamed girlishly and tried to flee when she swooped out of the darkness. Bleeding cries to the old gods went unanswered. Unable to save him from the winged apparition. A light sweep of her dory and a pounce later, she sat on his chest as he sprawled in the dust. The interrogation lasted nearly until dawn, growling questions down at the wide-eyed youngster under threat of claw and blade. She'd learn much once they began to understand more of each other's speech. He would surely have a story to tell his family up in the hills. Most treasured of her new knowledge were a few more words of the confounding language the dragon had spoken. The satyr also had an ingenious tablet map device that somehow seemed to contain the entire world. It was incredible, so bright, holding so much knowledge. She'd stolen it, of course, and soon realized that her journey must take her east, into the fabled Orient. Too much ocean lay between her destination to west. That was indeed a powerful magic, though a short-lived one. The spell had stopped working after a day and a night, the once bright surface dark and unresponsive to her impatient touch. The dragon's minions had carried such devices, so he could no doubt teach her the secret of it. Finally, after a few hopeful taps against her shield and a probing of her magic, she dropped the frustrating thing into the Aegean. The rough location of the strange city called Denver was already memorized as well as a few landmarks that would tell her when to turn inland once she reached the distant continent. 
She flew on, ever eastward. The lack of a notable being presence disturbed her deeply. None of her kind challenged her slinking passage through their territory by night. No call of alarm was raised as a winged embodiment of war swished low over the sleeping lands. She only ever caught a whiff of vampire in the larger cities as she settled in to watch and rest for the day. That was hardly surprising, given their proclivities, but the great magical races were nowhere to be seen. Magic was dying, not so the humans. When she'd finally made it over the sky-conquering mountains and into the heart of the Orient, she couldn't believe the sheer number of scuttling little people below. Their cities lit the sky for miles around, belching out clouds of foul-smelling, acrid haze. When she was small, a plague of locusts had beset the crops of the village in the valley below the cliff where her family roost. It had been a wet spring, and the hopping, ravenous creatures swarmed out of the ground to gorge themselves on the green wheat stalks that thrived out on the river delta. She couldn't help drawing a comparison to the humans who now seemed to crawl over every piece of even slightly hospitable land. Even their roads were enormous, like pulsing arteries, and full of those confounding powered carts. What was wrong with a horse, or a good pair of sandals? Cars, yes, that's what Chris had called them. She growled at the very thought of him. Clutched tight against her chest, her aspies creaked in protest. The bronze and wood of the rounded shield crying their innocence as she vented her anger in a harsh squeeze. Oh, how she wanted to thrash that adorable whelp. Treacherous muscles deep in her tummy began to quiver excitedly at the prospect, and what would surely follow. How dare he leave her behind? Didn't he know the courage it had taken to come out of that tree, to approach a stranger after all those years? And that smirking vampire, she would be lucky if she didn't get the blade of her spear through that smug, harlot's smile. Nix held tight to that anger because it helped keep the terrible, slithering doubt at bay. She had only been curious to begin with, fascinated by the trespassers because she so rarely encountered magical kind on that island. Like a moth, she'd been drawn closer and closer, tantalized by delicious trickles of leaked magic and the faint scent of cinnamon on the wind. Was it possible that he didn't wish to mate? In their halting attempts at conversation, he'd seemed gentle, even receptive. But he'd abandoned her, vanishing through the ether in a godlike display of power. Freezing salty mist splashed through the eye slits of her plumed helmet, startling her wandering focus to the present. The gargoyle cursed, flapping her mighty wings valiantly as a colossal swell rose up out of the night to swallow her. As she'd been pining pathetically, the wind had driven her far too close to the water. Nick screamed wordlessly at the storm, the sea, and her impetuous decision to fly the strait that night. She fought the air for her very life now. Wind-whipped foam and icy water glanced off the surface of her shield, bucking violently into her. She barely cleared the top of that monster wave, her lower body splashing against it as her wings battled for purchase. Gasping at the chill of arctic seawater across her front, Nick dove downwind into the valley of the trough, regaining what airspeed she could in a desperate attempt to stay out of the water's deadly grasp. Perhaps most insulting was the stinging of bitter salt in her tail eye. Blinking sourly, she tightened her gray tail around the haft of her dory, bracing it up between her wings, so the spear tip jutted above her head. She must look quite comical, she thought, some archaic warrior attempting to joust the storm. Flying with her armor and weapons was burdensome to say the least. To do so in such weather could yet be the end of her. And for what? A pup of barely two decades who somehow reeked of ancient power. Lo, she skimmed along the trench between the huge waves, dodging the crest of a several-ton chunk of ice that tumbled sluggishly down the slope of the swell. Instinctively mimicking the greatest of seabirds, she let the wind push her along. Skimming just above the surface allowed her to take advantage of the ground effect and the extra push of air trapped beneath her wings. At the first slackening of the howling gale, she angled upward and flapped for dear life. The dense, salty air fought her for every inch of altitude, but she'd stolen its speed and now cashed in for the height she needed to get back on course. To be down in that thrashing, glacial water would mean almost certain death. When dawn came, and she turned to stone, she would sink like one. Her formidable strength and resilience wouldn't save her from the crush of depth when night returned. If she sank deep enough, out of the sun's reach, she would slowly dwindle and starve on the muddy, dark seafloor. The sun must be only a few hours away now, too. Putting that depressing thought out of her mind, she instead turned to berating her carelessness. Thanks to that spell of mooning, when she reached the continent across the strait, she would somehow have to clean and oil every inch of her gear. Corrosive salt could not be tolerated. The beautiful, mithril chain of her long shirt would be the worst, for she didn't have a convenient bath of oil to dunk it in. 
her molded cuirass, greaves, plumed helmet, gauntlets and reinforced leather skirt would all require time with a cloth, but nothing compared to the arduous task of cleaning chain if rust set in. Still, the lightweight armor allowed her to fly into battle, and that mobility had proved the bane of her enemies before. Leaving it all behind hadn't even been considered. It was all she really had of her previous life, and they were the tools of her trade. Finally, after fighting the storm for every foot of progress for what felt like hours, a faint light grew in the gloom. Nyx dared not hope too much, it could be a lost fishing boat or some warning beacon indicating the presence of treacherous rocks. With soaring relief, she swooped low across pounding surf and over a bleak scattering of snow-covered huts. She left the sad little village behind without further thought. Turning southward, she streaked over the windswept tundra coast, hunting for a place to roost. A blubbery animal would also be a welcome find, she could certainly use the sustenance, and the fat might protect her equipment in a bind. Ever onward she would fly, resting by day, until she found the great city of Denver where her unsuspecting dragon waited. There would be a reckoning, and Aphrodite willing, she would find new reasons to live. Her aeon in hiding was over. You're lucky you can make these orbs absorb radio waves. Haley looked down through the invisible floor of their magical transportation at the gray and green of the city below. This has to be some of the tightest airspace in the country. It's incredible to think this is even possible. We crossed half the country in less than two hours. You're really going to have to start taking care about flight paths. Some people will notice the mysterious sonic boom too and... Chris? I'm concentrating. He murmured, his sharp eyes barely making out the detail of a particularly green little rectangle next to a large building far below them. Ready? Here we go. In the instant he dropped the transparent orb sheltering them from the bitter, cold air ten thousand feet above the White House, Chris slipped them into the ether. Before they fell more than half a foot, he jumped onto the otherworldly lawn of the Jacqueline Kennedy Garden. That gray landscape of shadowy outlines was not its usually empty self. Chris lunged aside, pulling Haley with him as something whooshed inches overhead with an angry squawk. Off balance, he stumbled forward, brushing against the ghostly presence of a tall hedgerow that bordered the garden. Arg! He bellowed in agony as the shadow somehow lacerated deep gashes down the left side of his body. Chris tumbled backward onto the sickly-looking lawn, clutching at his wounds even as his eyes caught a glimpse of movement. In the hedge, something dark wriggled in ecstasy, retracting its bloodied, glass-like blades deeper into the shrubbery. Haley screamed, shrill and high as he groaned in pain. She fixated on the crimson weeping from four deep razor-like slices. It was a nightmare, his purple aura pulsing bright and his leaking blood dot wide-eyed at the sight of so much of his own life stuff, Chris got a hold of himself and sat up. Gingerly his left arm rotated so he could inspect the clean, steadily flowing cut just above his elbow. It throbbed, and he could feel three more shouting to make their presence known. On his calf, his thigh, and thankfully across one of his ribs. It hadn't slipped between, so far as he could tell. Jesus that hurts, what the fuck? Something chittered excitedly above them and began a trilling alarm cry. They both looked up to a brown, leathery creature clinging to the ghostly facade of the president's residence. It looked like a flying mouth. The little monstrosity was completely naked. Wrinkled, fetid skin stretched taut across sinew and bone and bat-like wings. It didn't have a head, Peresi. Its thrashing tail led to a foot-long torso dominated by bulging flight muscles. That beige body just ended in a salivating maw and four yellow, elongated teeth that gnashed with pincer-like, independent twitches. There were no eyes, no snout, no ears, just a ravenous mouth ready to gnaw their bones. Still, it was somehow pointed right at them. Chris forgot about his wounds as the hideous thing flapped its tattered wings, attached to the vertical shadow wall by the wicked hooks at the end of four stumpy, skeletal legs. It bounced itself in a frenzy, all the while making its terrible, screeching racket. It almost reminded him of the rooster back on Jethry's farm, clucking and fussing to draw the hens in when he found a particularly tasty morsel to share in the course of his scratching. That comparison proved far too apt, as they heard the cry taken up by hundreds of discordant, eager voices in the dark branches of the surrounding trees. Chris, let's get out of here! Haley cried, tugging at his good arm trying to pull him up off the diseased grass. The shrieking stopped. They both froze instinctively. It was only because Chris was in the process of clawing his way to his feet that he saw the black, squiggling parasite worming its way up the side of Haley's calfskin boot. Branches rustled, and the flapping of hundreds of unseen wings taking to the dark air suddenly whispered in their ears. Chris flipped the thing off of Haley as he tottered upright in growing panic. 
Adrenaline rushed into his arteries as he saw the first of the creatures winging in toward them from every direction. He stared in shock, leaking his precious blood into a pool of joyously thrashing black leeches that lurked in the grass. Haley whimpered in abject fear, breaking from his side to dash toward the building. That snapped him out of his disbelieving stupor. Splitting up was about the worst thing they could do. Haley, no! He dove after her with an outstretched hand, ignoring the pain lancing up his side. Catching just the tail of her coat, they tumbled back onto the parasite-ridden grass. She was sobbing in terror now, but he managed to pull her to his chest and turned to keep an eye on the flock. The creatures were upon them. The flying vanguard was much faster and stealthier than Chris would have thought possible. The first few sets of outstretched, modal fangs were less than a second from his throat. He did the only thing he could think of, dumping them unceremoniously back into the norm. They lay gasping, blinking up and into the cold, spitting rain, catching their heaving breath. Get up! Chris ordered after a few seconds, struggling to his knees as he began searching for any trace of parasitic hitchhikers. Get up and strip. Chris, what was that? Haley held her hands over her eyes as she tried to stop crying. I have no idea. He groaned, his voice sounding deadened and shocked even to himself. Already he pulled his hoodie over his head and was unbuttoning the blood-soaked shirt beneath. His eyes darted suspiciously across the now perfectly manicured lawn, searching for squirming movement. I in the back of his mind, he wondered what was going on in the ether right now. It didn't bear thinking about. Their shadows were no doubt being torn at by a thousand furious, shrieking mouths. Haley, get up. There were some sort of leeches in the grass. Go get on the path. Leeches? Haley shot up like a startled rabbit, scurrying off the lawn like it was a pool of lava. I'm out, I'm fucking out. Not near that hedge. He shouted the warning, pulling her up short until he could make his way to her side. Stop running away like that, there's something in there. Sorry. Haley sniffled, taking his offered hand. Through the branches of a tree that must have housed dozens of those flying things, she looked up at the tall, curved face of that iconic building. I'm freaking out. We're going to be in even more trouble now. We'll be fine, I think. Did I tell you about the time I got an anti-nuke missile fired at me? Got a job out of that little stunt. You're not helping. They cautiously made their way to the closest path, and Chris started checking the rest of his clothes for determined parasites. He ended up removing his shoes and pants, paranoid that the squiggly things had crawled into delicate places. Oh my god, look at this thing, it's disgusting. Sure enough, just below the hem of his boxer shorts, one of the worm-like things was latched to the back of his thigh. It was tough, rubbery and strong when he prodded it, rather than squishy. Very carefully, he pulled at the end which wasn't busy sucking his blood. It writhed mightily, sucking and injecting something that burned, jolting him into giving up. Ouch. The fucker. I'm going to be sick if there's one on me. Haley's voice rose as she watched him try again. Chris, tell me there isn't one on me. There probably is. He said honestly. I should be able to burn it off but this isn't exactly the most discreet place to start a magical fire. Giving up on ether leech for the moment, Chris inspected the wounds on his left side in the overcast light. The cold and wet didn't bother him one bit after what they'd just escaped. Never had he imagined the ether could be so openly hostile. He'd heard it could be dangerous, sure. Wraiths, ghouls, people getting trapped in there and dying from the magical drain. That sort of thing. This just seemed so, insidious. You're still bleeding pretty badly. Haley poked gently around the wound on his rib. The slowly flowing streams of clotting darkening red mixed with the light rain to spread wetly down the muscles of his tummy. What did it? I don, don't move. The voice spoke with the authority of a long career spent in law enforcement. Chris sighed. He'd really hoped to sneak in and find the president in the ether, thereby avoiding this exact situation. Hands above your head. Slowly. Haley let out a little squeak and jumped close against his chest, her body trembling once again as footsteps approached from behind him. He could hear more of them now that he was listening, thundering across the lawns from several directions. It's all right. Chris spoke calmly looking directly into Haley's scared blue eyes, trying to impress that she benefit from his words as well. He began slowly raising his hands, but couldn't get the left one up all the way. We're here to see the president. My name's Christopher Barrist, we're expected. A fit, middle-aged man in a dark windbreaker came into his peripheral vision, pistol trained low but directly at them. Hands up, miss. It's okay, Haley, do as he says. Chris soothed as she tentatively raised her arms.
He was thankful that the Secret Service agent seemed experienced enough to recognize Haley's fright and quit with the shouting. We're going to be just fine. A younger fellow came running up the path behind Haley. Nice one, Rogers. Where the hell did they come from? He panted, holstering his weapon and quickly moving in close to grab Haley's wrists. Don't touch her. It came out of his mouth almost as a hiss, promising death even though he hadn't twitched a muscle. The dragon lunged under his skin, on edge from their encounter in the ether and ready to spring to Haley's defense. Both agents took a wary step back, and the man's gun was back in his hand in short order. On the ground. Ordered the newcomer. No. Do it, shithead. Call President Falconer. Tell him you're trying to arrest the dragon. Chris took the calculated risk that these men, who guarded the president, after all, would probably know about beings. Haley's eyes told him she wasn't going to handle anything else just now. He prayed she was smart enough to know that making a break for it now was an even worse move than before. I knew it. Rogers muttered, taking a further two steps back, aiming his pistol at Chris' head this time. Paul, get a hold of the president somehow, would you? You're not serious? Look at him, man. He showed up out of thin air. Radio the guys on personal detail. Ask if he's expecting a Christopher Barrist. Thanks for that, Rogers, said Chris. He gave the agent a cheeky grin as his colleague grudgingly tapped a few messages into his phone. Do you think I could relax a little? There's a leech on the back of my thigh, and I don't want him getting any ideas about crawling higher if you know what I mean. Shut it. Rogers barked, but took a half step to glance at the back of his leg, really taking in the rest of his injuries now that the initial rush was coming. Jesus, you're all fucked up. Okay son, you two can relax a little but no sudden moves. They waited. The freezing droplets falling from the sky thickened, pattering down on the bare skin of his shoulders. They provided sweet relief against the throbbing heat of his cuts. Terrified though Haley was, he couldn't help notice the way the rain bounced onto her blonde hair. The fine strands resisted at first but were quickly becoming saturated. Wet-haired Haley with frightened eyes tugged at his heartstrings. He wasn't going to let anything else bad happen to her today, not one thing. I don't fucking believe it. Paul muttered, turning toward the White House to the sound of a commotion. Stand down. Stand down. The president himself came running down the steps from the Oval Office balcony, hollering as he came. To his flanks, for upset-looking, suited agents escorted him out into rain. Robert Falconer was a lean man, with a slightly hawkish nose befitting his family's namesake. His black hair was sliding into gray with the sort of grace that had helped swing a good portion of undecided female voters his way. He was obviously in good shape, running across the wet grass in his fine navy suit, uncaring of the inclement weather or the prospect of dirtying his perfectly shined shoes. His eyes darted across Chris' bloodied side even as he and his men came to a halt in front of their little gathering. Put those damn guns away. Chris, what happened? Chris lowered his arms thankfully, uncaring of his pain or state of leech-induced undress. He wrapped Haley up in a hug against his non-bloody side. I? Sir? Chris looked up, not knowing how best to explain what had happened. Let's get inside. Robert gestured for everyone to start walking back toward the imposing white building. It's the damn White House lawn. Someone with a camera is going to be paying attention. What is it? Were you attacked? Sort of. I don't know how to put this politely. Chris admitted, noticing that the agents had surrounded them as they walked and were hanging off of every word. Your house is riddled with magical vermin. You're serious? The president's groomed eyebrow fell back into position as he realized the lad wasn't joking. I was trying to make an inconspicuous entrance, but they very nearly got us in the Kennedy Garden, sir. Still got some leech thingies on me to prove it. And there's a big flock of meat-eating devil chicken crab bats living in all your nice trees. Well, in the ether anyway. I think they might be shrikes. Haley spoke quietly from underneath his arm, events sweeping her along and loosening her frightened tongue. I sort of remember the description from a scary story one of my aunts told me. A shrike? I thought that was a kind of bird. The president wondered. It is, sir. One of his men answered before trotting back to collect Chris' discarded clothes. Huh, and you must be Haley? The young woman who's caused such a stir. I'm the stirrer, sir. Haley just taught me how to hold the spoon. The president's eyes narrowed as they started up a set of steps. He wasn't used to anyone taking such a flippant tone with him these days, but it was sort of refreshing. Well, all right then. Robert paused, glancing around warily before they went inside. Not all of the NASA folks are here yet. 
We'll sneak you up to the family rooms and let you clean up a bit before they arrive. I can try to find you something to wear but it's not going to be easy. Do you need a doctor? Michelle told me you can heal yourself very effectively. I should be okay, thanks sir. Chris looked at his arm again. The bleeding was slowing. This conversation you promised better be worth it, Chris. Alright, I've got to go explain to two congressmen why I ran out of our meeting like I'd been stung by a bee. The president chuckled evilly. Rogers, you found them. Take them up to the second floor and look after them. Get them whatever they want, and for God's sake, no one mention this to my wife. Annabelle was wallowing in the perfect state of drowsy relaxation as she lay on the couch. Emmy snoozed too, sprawled on top of her, blue cheek resting on the meager pillow of her right breast. The warmth, weight, and closeness of her friend probably wasn't helping her own state of wakefulness. She'd meant to do some reading, but the book was so heavy and her eyelids so droopy. They'd been so busy here at home or at the chef's academy last week. Combined with yesterday's worry on two fronts, she was exhausted. Her brain refused to settle into true sleep though, chasing its own tail around in circles. She still wasn't sure how she felt about Chris' unannounced visit to the moon. Emmy was, of course, full of ideas for punishments that inevitably wound up with her tummy packed full. It was an interesting conundrum though. She'd been mad as hell when Petra and Claire had explained that he was missing. Combined with the news about Roddick, she'd been terrified. But that part wasn't his fault. She was honestly too shocked by the extent of his powers to have processed just how she felt about the apparent recklessness of the way he used them. He went to the goddamn moon. Her fiancé was a walking, talking spaceship. If he could do that then, well, she didn't know really. What couldn't he do? Who was she to complain if it kept her roommates and their children safe? Was a phone call so hard though? Perhaps it was. She frowned, she would never have agreed to him taking Haley to the moon if he'd asked her beforehand. Then he would have been put in a position where he would be tempted to lie or go behind her back. Annabelle yawned. Damn, she was too snoozy for this. Amy's shallow breathing and occasional twitches were just adorable. Annabelle lazily ran a hand down the sprite's spine to cup her perfect, little blue rump. The only thing that could make the moment better was if Chris was there, wrapping them both in his arms. It seemed like they'd barely seen him lately, and not in their bed where he belonged. As if summoned by Roddick himself, her phone started vibrating angrily on the coffee table shattering the peace of their mid-morning laziness. Annabelle's eyes opened reluctantly, and Emmy grumbled sleepy protests as she reached to see who could possibly be so rude as to disturb her. It was the weekend, damn it. The phone screen announced that her mother was calling, and Annabelle groaned. It was so tempting to swipe the call toward the red symbol, to reject it. But it was her mom, and she deserved a little more respect than that. Bartholomew stirred on her tummy, sensing her apprehension. Ever since her engagement, and Chris' brief elevation to the status of local hero, her mother had been pestering her. Hi, mom. She answered with false enthusiasm and another stifled yawn. Hello, dear. Barbara Somerset was almost giddy with excitement to get her story out. So, I stopped by to talk to Pastor Franklin on the way home from the grocery store this morning, and he said that he would be delighted to fit your ceremony in next spring. He's already reserved two Saturdays when he thinks the cherry trees will be in bloom. Won't that be wonderful? Mom, I know, I know. The photos will be spectacular, and the whole congregation can be there. Meryl Jefferson will have a fit when she finds out that I convinced the pastor to reserve the dates for you. He couldn't help himself when I reminded him that Christopher stopped that terrible shooting. I'm still disappointed in you for even being in a despicable club like that, young lady. His bravery helped open my eyes, though. He's a good man, even if he isn't devout. Your father has been grumbling less about it lately, too. It'll be up to you now to bring your husband into the Lord's fold, Annabelle. Mom, I don't, ah. Uh. She gasped, her eyes flying open as Emmy latched onto her sensitive nipple through only the thin fabric of her slip. She stared daggers down at the coy sprite, who grinned defiantly back around her prize and raised her leg to rub against Annabelle's crotch. If only her mother could see her now, this nightmarish wedding obsession of hers would surely vanish. She wondered if her mom would just up and faint at the sight of the winged, blue beauty molesting her. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Barbara continued obliviously. I've already got a plan floating around in my head for the ceremony, and some great ideas for the vows. I even ran into Linda from Creative Catering last week and they would be delighted to do the food for such a high-profile wedding. Mom! Annabelle sat bolt upright, dislodging her amorous blue limpet to tumble into her lap with an indignant yelp. 
That was the last straw. She'd indulged her mother's fantasy for far too long now if it had come to this. Creative catering? If all I wanted at my wedding was stale club sandwiches and a selection of fried frozen nibbles, I still wouldn't hire creative catering. And this isn't high profile. Well, you should have told me that before I talked to Linda. I'm going to look very foolish if I have to go back and tell her we're using someone else. We? Mom, this is my wedding. Annabelle's temper rose, her nostrils flaring with months of slow-simmered anger. This was so typical of her mother, hijacking and twisting something that should have been wonderful. She knew exactly why, too. She must be getting all sorts of kudos amongst the congregation's wives. After Chris' time in the spotlight, she was using their engagement to peck her way up the social order. Well, she was in for a rude awakening. In fact, I'm not getting married in Laramie. We're not even getting married in a church. Lord have mare, just shut up. Emmy's eyes widened in shock, and Bartholomew scampered around onto the skin of her lower back, cowering from his mistress's rage. You and Dad hated Chris. Annabelle seethed. You've said terrible things about him for years. Well, guess what? You don't even know him, and you haven't known me for years either. I'll be forever thankful that I met him, not only because I love him like nothing else in this world, but because he opened my eyes to your bullshit. I'm not getting married in a church. I don't even know if I want a Christian ceremony anymore. Her mother gasped, and promptly began sobbing. It was a blatant, age-old guilt trip. Annabelle took Amy's small hand in her own and continued more calmly into the phone. She was really going to say it. It had needed to be said for a long time now. She could feel the tears welling already. Catharsis held out its warm hand, beckoning her toward release. Mom? I didn't fall obediently into your brainwashed, prejudiced little world. You need to learn to deal with that. I want to get married somewhere warm. Maybe on Chris' farm in summer, or next to a mountain stream, or, or on a tropical beach somewhere. And it will be intimate, just close friends and family so I can do the food myself. You and Dad aren't invited right now. I know that despite the sermons and the hymns you sing every Sunday, you're mean inside. You're bigoted, xenophobic, small-minded, and nothing would please you more than if I ended up exactly like you. For several seconds, the only sounds coming through the phone were each other's heavy breathing. In that quiet moment, Annabelle nurtured a tiny spark of hope that her mom would somehow take her words to heart, that she might change. The revelation was going to crack her parents' insular existence as ruthlessly as the eggs she'd used that morning for omelets. Her faint hope was that they could somehow open their eyes to the realities of the world around them before they were faced with that sundering. Hope shriveled like a cut flower at her mother's next words. What did I ever do to deserve such an ungrateful, wicked bitch for a daughter? To think, I argued against your father sending you to a good Christian school when you started up with that godless boy. Well now look what he's done to you. What an idiot I was. I'll pray to God for your redempt. Annabelle hung up, anger and sorrow making her gifted magic ride dangerously. She didn't want to hear another word of spiteful rhetoric from her mother's mouth, lest she do something truly stupid. Bartholomew was already gnashing his little teeth that anyone would dare say such things to her. Amy stood up and wrapped her slender arms around Annabelle's neck. She snuggled close, trying to pour all the love and comfort she could into her mistress. It will be okay. She whispered against the long strands of Annabelle's chestnut hair. We'll find just the right beach. It will be perfect. We'll all be there for you, Annabelle. I know. Annabelle choked, more warm tears beginning to trickle down her cheeks. I know I needed to say that, but why can't they just be good people? People are just people. Look, it could be worse. Emmy consoled, squeezing her friend tighter and fluttering her wings in sympathy. My father tried to marry me off to a horrible elf as a spell slave. I had to hide out in the ether for years to escape that disaster, until I found you and Master. Thank you, Emmy. I love you. And I love you, Mistress. They held each other, Annabelle running her fingers through the sprites loose, midnight blue tresses to massage her sensitive, pointed ears. Gradually, her raging turmoil calmed until all that was left was her affection and gratitude for her diminutive lover. She was so lucky to have Emmy as a companion. As friends, they could share anything. It made things like this bearable when Chris was away or occupied with other members of his brood. Annabelle decided to reinforce that affection, carrying the sprite back into their bedroom for a long, languid session of lovemaking. She could play Amy like a master musician now. Producing just the desired notes of passion was easy with the skillful use of fingers, lips, tongue, and even teeth. They were at it for hours, 
the almond sweetness of Emmy's addictive, creamy juices drawing her ever back to the growing Sprite's blue-lipped nethers. In the end, she brought Emmy to one final, screaming climax by stretching her wide with two fingers, promising it wouldn't be long until she helped guide Chris inside her. They whiled away the rest of the morning, and much of the afternoon with their shiftless amour. I don't know about you, but this is alright. Chris admired the shower, every aspect seemed elegant. From the taps to the tiles, to the wide stream of high-pressure hot water. The whole damn bathroom they'd been snuck into reeked of affluence, and history on a scale he hadn't encountered before. It almost put the plans for his own bathroom to shame, but not quite. I don't care about the shower. Look at that fucking leech, it's getting fat on you. Haley hovered behind him, grossed out and fascinated at the same time. Don't poke it. He tissed, running his hand through the spray to check the temperature. Aren't you going to check yourself? Are you sure this wasn't all a ploy to get me naked? No. He sighed, happy that she seemed to be bouncing back okay from their run-in on the president's lawn. I think that would be a little elaborate, don't you? Though, I will confess a healthy male curiosity. Humph. Apparently satisfied, Haley began struggling to get out of her damp coat. Um, will you help me? Help undress you? What sort of a stupid question is that? He took the few steps to her, and gently helped pull her dress over her head. Off came her undershirt, revealing the bronzed, upper swell of those magnificent breasts, and the appealing curves of her abdomen. A close inspection revealed two leeches squirming unsuccessfully at the base of her right butt cheek. Attracted by the warmth and scent of blood, they were thwarted by her double-layered stockings. Chris quickly dealt with them. It was finally time to singe off his own clinger. It had gorged on enough of his blood by now to almost warrant naming. Only a tiny hint of fire magic against its black skin made it drop instantly. The thing was sluggish on the bathroom tiles, too heavy to make a credible escape. He picked it up, held it over the very expensive-looking sink, and incinerated it vindicatively. Good riddance. His growl faded with the fire, as he turned to Haley. Well, this adventure of ours keeps getting weirder and weirder. Yeah. She said, eyes darting furtively to the running shower and back to him. Do you want to? I was going. I mean, I can leave, or whatever. He stumbled over his words like a smitten schoolba. Her lips pursed in a maddening little smile, pink and inviting as she shimmied right out her stockings and salmon pink panties as one. Oh, Haley. He breathed, eyes glued to the fully fleeced treasure at the apex of her thighs. I had it all wrong. Beauty can outweigh even your brains. The matching bra fell to the floor, freeing perfect, heavy breasts to sway and settle. Shut up. She flung herself against his chest, not caring that his skin was still cold from the rain. I thought we weren't going to make it back there. I know, Minnie Moo, but we're okay. I'm sorry. He took her in his arms, kissed her soundly, and carried her under the tepid waterfall. They held each other close, warming under the flow. The stress of the bizarre attack slowly melted as they explored the soft pleasures of just holding each other. Skin against skin. Chris boxers were soon soaked, then discarded to partially block the drain. It was their first time naked with each other, and they took tentative advantage. He ran his hands over her shoulders, down the contours of her back as she pressed herself into his chest. For a while they just hugged, feeling each other. I shouldn't have tried to run. She finally whispered. I got so scared. I'm not like Lillian or Claire, I'm weak and stop. Chris squeezed her tight, cutting off her self-flagellation. You are not weak, Haley. You might have faults, we all do. Confidence might even be your greatest, but we can work on that. I'm not sure what it's going to take to make you see yourself as I do, an amazing, gorgeous, incredibly intelligent young woman. I won't ever give up on making you see yourself like that. Haley felt so small wrapped inside his arms, so protected. His heartfelt words made her want to both melt with desire and cry at the same time. She settled for a little sniffle. Trust me, you're incredible, so stop comparing yourself to my mates. You do trust me, don't you? Yes. She sighed, kissing gently at the skin directly over his heart. I will always do my best to keep you safe, even when you get scared and almost land us in more trouble. Chris chuckled now that they were past the ordeal. I might fail terribly at times, but I'll try. Okay. She breathed, looking up at his handsome features. And I'll try to be a little more confident. They held each other in content silence a while longer, but the closeness of youthful bodies and gentle touching soon ignited more carnal desires. For Haley, breathing his maddening scent, touching his soft skin over hard muscles, 
being touched back so gently, it all set her inside smoldering. His eager member was stirring too, thickening. She could feel it, dragging warmth up the sensitive skin of her inner thigh. Their eyes met, and he gave her the most unapologetic, goofy grin she'd seen yet, rolling his eyes. He can't help himself it seems. He murmured wryly. Boldly, she pressed into the base of it, leaning close to look up at him. Her soft thatch of fine, golden pubic hair pressed against his thigh, nipples flattening delightfully against the firmness of his almost sedible musculature. She stepped away to give his insistent penis space to rise, lest it attempt to lift her off the ground. Haley's breath itched as it nudged against her plump, engorging labia on its way to stand tall and proud between them. Well, he's not getting lucky today. She looked down between them, her hand tentatively brushing the side of his shaft. It was daunting, and yet exhilarating to think about him slipping inside her. Even his balls seemed enormous, bulging below and to either side of his thick root. When she worked up the courage to gently cup one, the heavy orb defied her little palm. Warm, soft sacks spilled onto her wrist as she looked up to his handsome blue eyes. Jesus Chris, I knew Lillian was teasing me, but I didn't really think it would get like this. I brought a nice large toy to practice with but how many times do I have to tell people not to take Lillian to heart? He sighed. Haley, you must have heard about the enchantment I used on Susan? Um hum. She nodded, nibbling her pink lower lip. Well, there's no rush for us to do anything. I'm enjoying just being close with you. Her silky, wet pubic hair was tickling his skin maddeningly. Magnificent wet breasts pressed against his torso. The little minx began moving her hips side to side, creating the delightful promise of friction trapped between their bellies. He leaned down to kiss the top of her head. I know. She rose on her tiptoes, clinging to his solid forearms in the steam. They kissed again, slowly, tenderly, both of them trying to express the depth of their growing feelings for each other. As they parted, she surprised herself by levering his throbbing member down between her thighs to nudge at her tepid folds. MHH, this is good. I just wanted us to try it naturally, the first time anyway. I thought if I were used to something large, it would be nice for both of us. Chris shook his head in disbelief, scattering droplets around the spacious stall. I appreciate the consideration, he said gently, trying his best not to thrust against her inviting little pussy. We'll do it however you want. I trust you to be practical about this. The most important thing to me is that you enjoy it when we have sex. Haley smiled happily, pecking his collarbone before looking down between her breasts again at his excited monster. It truly was a thing of beauty. She was fascinated by the outlines of bulging veins she could see beneath the outer wrapping of velvet skin. The fat, reddened head had wedged itself underneath her vulva, introducing itself to her apprehensive little quim. You don't have any hair down there. I trim up a little bit sometimes. Do you want me to? No. He cut her off, taking her firmly by the shoulders. You do whatever you want. I personally think your fluffy stuff is perfect just the way it is. Dragons just don't have any. Thanks. She demurred, suddenly embarrassed that she'd shown him that insecurity. We'd better get you cleaned up before we get too distracted. We're not here for the presidential bathroom suite, you know. I could quite easily forget all about that right now. He devoured her glistening, bronze curves with ravenous eyes. A finger traced the magnificent slope of her right breast, making her eyelids flutter adorably. You know, we could just magically disappear ourselves away somewhere. Tempting. She moaned, just coming to grips with the delight of slowly pushing her throbbing clit against the spongy ridge of his crown. His erection promptly ruined the moment. In its excitement, it gave a mighty lurch against her sex. A gush of slippery precum splashed against her sensitive, pink flesh. Eek. Haley squawked, sapphire blue eyes wide with astonishment and a little indignation as she looked up at him. It felt like the monster was about to try bulldozing its way inside her. Stop that! Can't help it! He rumbled, stepping away from the tempting, pixie-like blonde. One big hand couldn't help lingering to tweak one of those perfect, cone-shaped pink teats. You'd better get out while we're both still in control. I think it would be bad form to get caught fucking in the president's guest bathroom. What would Rogers say? We'd probably be shot. How's that for a headline? Chris scowled, she hadn't moved and there was a devilsome little smirk on her lips. You were getting out? Yeah, I guess I'd better. She smiled a little wistfully, finally turning to the glass door. What had gotten into her? She felt powerful, her bison, stamping and snorting, close to the surface. It felt like she'd just been zapped by a static shock of sexual energy. The muscles of her core were quivering in anticipation. 
she had the sudden urge to pull the sort of move she'd seen her mom use around the house before dad inevitably chased her up the stairs, giggling all the way to their bedroom.at the stall door, suspecting exactly what it might do to his throbbing member, she made a show of bending over right in front of him to retrieve his boxers, offering him the perfect view of her naughty, juicy, golden-fuzzed little box. A glance over her shoulder sent a shiver of thrill up her spine as she slowly straightened. He looked hungry, almost scary, ready to gobble her right up. She made her escape before he could pounce, punctuating her exit with an absurd little wiggle of her hips. Damn it, Haley. His exasperated words followed her. I can't meet the people from NASA with a hard-on. Chris and Haley had been waiting with increasing nerves for over half an hour. It felt decidedly strange to twiddle one's thumbs in the president's dining room. Despite tasteful decoration, the beautiful darkwood table, and the exquisite chandelier above them, Chris thought it felt a bit lifeless. It looked more like a dollhouse or a museum than anything he would personally want to sit around in for a family meal. After the temptations of the shower, Chris had dried their clothes with judicious use of one of his orbs. When you forbid water from entering a portion of space, instant garment drying is amongst the most mundane of applications. Haley was back in her original outfit, but his own shirt and hoodie were utterly ruined by drying blood. He tried to magically clean them, but the dead, ruptured cells had degraded into a complex mixture that flouted his ability to mentally define. It was no longer simply blood, not that there was anything simple about blood on a microscopic level. He now understood that thanks to Haley. Therefore his magic failed to remove the browning stains, leaving the garments completely unpresentable. Absently, he wondered if it might have worked if he didn't know any better. His genes were barely any better, but as his last bastion against being presented to some of the nation's lead scientists in his underwear and a stolen bedsheet, he was about to wear them anyway. Rogers saved the day. Apparently one of the Secret Service guys was really bulky too because the blue tracksuit and t-shirt Chris was given fit pretty damn well. He felt awkward wearing someone else's workout gear while Haley read on her tidy, flattering ensemble, but there wasn't anything to be done about it. Looking much like his imagined cliché of an early 90s street hustler, he was ready to explain why he'd almost blown up the moon. There had almost been an incident when Agent Rogers was moving them through the family level to the dining room. The president's adult daughter came flying around the corner but was too engrossed by her cell phone to notice the presence of the unusual strangers. Chris and Haley were bustled back into the bathroom before they could be seen. When she did stop, their escort stood staunch, pretending he was precisely where he was supposed to be and that nothing was amiss. He received only a brief glare and a small noise of exasperation for his trouble before the young woman swept on, intent on some mission of vital social importance. The danger passed. Rogers snuck them down the lavish hallways and sequestered them in the dining room to await their meeting. Distracted by their own nervous musings, Haley and Chris both shot upward out of their chairs when the door clicked open and the president strode in. Like a queen in a hive, he was followed closely by a court of bustling personnel. Chris was mildly surprised to see the NASA guy from the press conference was there, looking even more tired and put out than he had on TV. Well, here we all are. The president shrugged as two of his bodyguards did a quick inspection around the room. Deputy Director Williamson, these are Christopher Barrist and Haley Sidon. Chris is a government consultant, of sorts. He contacted me because he believed he could explain the incident on the moon. I'm inclined to believe him, though I'll admit I didn't understand a lot of the details. That's why you're all here. Ben Williamson eyed the two youngsters dismissively, sighed, and rubbed at his bloodshot eyes. Mr. President. He spoke eventually, his deference pushed to the limit by exhaustion. I haven't slept in well over 24 hours now, and you drag me down here for what? A couple of college freshmen? We've got the best minds in the world working on this, just give us some damn time. Please, sir. The NASA man added the last with a straightening of his back as if he only just realized who he was addressing. Trust me, Ben. I know you're tired and I'm sorry, but you're going to want to hear this. I thought it was only fair you get the explanation from the horse's mouth after dealing with that rowdy lot of reporters this morning. The president smiled at the director before looking around the room as if trying to find someone. Agatha? What have we got for lunch? I'm starving. It's a pea and ham soup, sir, served with fresh brioche and a selection of cheeses and dried fruit. Replied a stern bun middle-aged woman who'd been hovering just outside the doorway. Perfect. He barked with obnoxious enthusiasm. Let's get down to it then. Coffee. Deputy Director Williamson groaned, glaring at Chris. A whole carafe's worth of the darkest, nastiest stuff you know how to brew. 
That's the spirit. Robert clapped the man soundly on the back. Now let's sit down. Introduce your colleagues, why don't you? Dr. Ivan Schmidt and Dr. Isabella Kettering both looked confused and ill-prepared for the unorthodox meeting. It wasn't every day you got shoved into a small motorcade and bustled off to see the president, only for him to claim a couple of youngsters had figured out the mystery that had their entire agency scrambling. Ivan's field of expertise was solar monitoring. The deputy director introduced him as having a long, solid career pointing telescopes and all kinds of sensors at various solar anomalies. Chris thought calling it a long career was probably putting it politely. He had the look of one of those people who was so committed to their work that they refused retirement. His appearance was tidy, but his body seemed to be thinning unhealthily in his advanced age. Despite the abundance of well-worn skin sagging around the bones of his thin face, his dark eyes were still sharp. At the moment they were attempting to skewer Chris through and through with a deadly shaft of accusation. Dr. Kettering, on the other hand, was a delight to look upon. If Chris had to guess she was in her early thirties, with a healthy, womanly figure. Most importantly to him, she had a friendly face, and eyes that were full of curiosity rather than reproach. The director explained that she worked on developing power systems for NASA's various spacecraft. She had several degrees, but her passion was engineering. After hearing Fusion and Reactor and Chris over the phone cliff's notes, the president had specifically requested that Williamson bring someone with knowledge of experimental power systems. As the group took seats around the mahogany table, Chris noted the presence of several others in the room. A few Secret Service guys were, of course, aiming decidedly where he looks his way. After the drama out on the lawn, that wasn't exactly unexpected given their duty to protect the president at all costs. There was also a professionally unobtrusive general, or perhaps a colonel, listening discreetly in the corner. By his uniform, Chris assumed he was with the Air Force, but he didn't know enough about rank insignia to decide how high up the chain of command he lay. Most disturbing was the unexplained presence of a crisp-suited blonde woman taking notes by the door. Well, that was when she wasn't fixing him with a piercing, hawk-like gaze. She had a decidedly military look about her, and an air of confident untouchability that set the back of his neck tingling. Whoever she was, she was a predator. He was about to ask for her to be introduced when a balding fellow stepped up and opened a briefcase on the grand table. Before we go any further, we need to get everyone here covered by a non-disclosure and bump your clearance up a few levels. The president explained as papers were passed to the two scientists and their boss. Nothing too untoward, I promise. Don't we need to sign anything? Chris asked as the three grumbled and began flicking through the ridiculously officious documents. That's a little more complicated. The president mused. So far it's been agreed that you're primarily answerable to the Senate, not the laws of the nation you reside in. That means you can't go around spilling secrets. But so long as I do the initial explanation of the situation, you shouldn't land in hot water. Most people here are already up to speed. The strangeness of that statement caused a few wary glances between the scientists, but it also piqued their interest. As they began scratching out numerous initials and signatures, Chris looked to Haley, whose chair was almost touching his now. He took her hand under the table and gave it a reassuring squeeze. I'm okay. She whispered under her breath, squeezing him right back. A an unspoken tension seemed to grow in the quiet dining room as the three NASA employees signed away their souls. Thankfully the promised coffee and refreshments arrived, pushed in on an ornate beverage trolley, interrupting a stare-down between Chris and that hawkish woman. They were served in turn, and Chris eventually accepted a dark coffee served in fine china cup, complete with saucer and all. He barely knew what to do with the delicate thing, which didn't suit his large hands at all. All right, folks, hold on to your horses. The president said when everyone had been served. A gleeful hint of mischief twinged the corners of his mouth into a rather unpresidential expression as the confidentiality agreements were collected. It boils down to this. Magic is real, there have been mythical creatures living among us for millennia, and Chris here is a dragon. Yep, I know, it's a real mindfuck, but everyone's going to have to deal with it someday soon. We're calling it the revelation. There you have it. Discuss. That didn't sit too well with skeptical science types. The disbelieving protestations were still going on several minutes later despite the president's level reassurances. Sir. Chris muttered across the table. Perhaps a demonstration might help convince them? Okay, Chris. Robert Falconer nodded thoughtfully. Nothing too dangerous, mind. My wife will kill me if you blast a hole in the wall. And so, Chris got the attention of the room with a gruff clearing of his throat, down the last of his coffee, 
and summoned a marble-sized orb into existence from the ether. With his audience looking on his odd silence, he took a few moments to check his parameters. Air was passing in and out smoothly, not creating a dangerous pressure gradient. When he touched it, the light-devouring boundary resisted his finger's intrusion absolutely. That was good, no one would lose a chunk of their hand if they foolishly tried to sweat it out of the air. With a final glance around the room, he picked up his saucer, held it up for all to see, and slowly ran the orb back and forth through it five times. The result was an improbable piece of Swiss cheese porcelain, still intact without any sign of cracking. Be careful, the edges could be very sharp. He warned as he leaned across Haley to slide the saucer to Dr. Schmidt. However, Ivan was convinced it was some sort of parlor trick. Williamson examined the plate suspiciously, but Dr. Kettering soon discarded it when it was her turn, more intrigued by the floating ball of darkness that Chris repositioned right over his cup.as he let a tiny stream of sand-like particles trickle out the bottom of the orb. The unintroduced woman by the door scribbled notes, furiously, eyes alight as she glanced between her book and the magical display. It's incredible. Dr. Kettering observed, cocking her head as she watched Chris idle magic. I can't help jumping to assumption that it's some sort of miniature black hole, but that's obviously not right. Chris smiled, having struggled with the same terrifying prospect during his early experiments. I thought the same thing to begin with, but as you can see, matter can pass both ways. Plus, there's the fact that we aren't all having this crisis of belief from the inside of the thing, crushed into human guacamole by overwhelming gravity. Preposterous! Ivan interrupted with a disgusted grunt, flinging the holy saucer down. Don't put any more crazy ideas in his head, Isabella. Chris could only shrug in the face of such obstinance. As the orb winked out of existence with a small flash of liberated photons, the argument resumed with even more fervor. It appeared he'd won over Dr. Kettering though, or at least made her think. He didn't want to risk his usual demonstration of phase jumping, but clearly something more was required to hook the others. Stepping into the ether anywhere near here wasn't something he wanted to repeat. With his options limited, he next concentrated hard to bring small, flickering flame to life in the palm of his hand. Well, that's easy, Dr. Schmidt protested. You've got some sort of hydrocarbon being released from a tube running up your sleeve. A simple stage magician's deception. Ivan, just stop for a minute and think about what you've seen. Isabella urged, a hint of exacerbation entering her tone. Stop trying to justify fire for a minute, that was completely light-absorbing ball that somehow put holes in a tea set. They're not asking you to throw special relativity out the window. Well, not just yet anyway, I hope. Just to keep a slightly more open-minded, and less confrontational perspective as they make their presentation. Fine, fine. I'll shut up. But I don't see how you stand for it, Isabella, I thought, I could try something else. Chris tried to help, though his dislike for the old grump was rising to critical levels. It turns out dragons don't appreciate the comparison to stage tricksters. What would it take? Believe it or not, I don't have all day for this. The president groused. Chris, stop trying to convince them, and just explain what the hell you were doing on the moon. I'd like to hope someone in my leading science agency can wrap their head around it because I sure as hell can't. Okay, I guess. Chris nodded, wondering how best to do so. Well then, doctors, suspend your disbelief for a minute and listen. Robert gestured for Chris to proceed. Hmm, where to start? Yesterday. After a couple weeks of experimentation, Haley and I traveled to the moon using my magical abilities. Our goal was to test the first step in our development of a viable fusion reactor, and well, we succeeded. Silence reigned, even the quiet scratching of pen on paper from the corner died for a moment. Haha! Sir, I'd heard you have a bit of a sense of humor, but this is, wow. The deputy director laughed, though not as desperately as in his TV performance. You've really gone to some effort. I appreciate the motorcade and everything, but we're not joking. Haley finally spoke up, though her voice was quiet. We visited the Apollo 11 landing site, and I've got proof. Everyone watched as she reached into the pocket of her coat and produced several of the trinkets they'd collected. She slid them the short distance down the table to Isabella, the black message disc, the cosmonauts' medals, and the Apollo 1 commemorative patches. All were neatly packaged in their own plastic baggies. Good thing you came prepared, Chris murmured. This is one tough crowd. I took a video too. Haley shocked him by sliding her phone over to the president. What? When? Haley, why didn't you tell me? Chris hissed under his breath. Sorry. 
The blonde rested her head against his shoulder as the scientists looked over the trinkets with increasing agitation. Robert Falconer's eyebrows looked like they wanted to launch off his forehead as he pressed play and watched the slightly washed-out clip. He couldn't help but get a little misty-eyed as he saw his flag return to pristine glory and planted once again in the moon's dusty soil. This is exactly the stuff we need for the Revelation Press packages. He beamed at the scowling young man and passed Haley's phone over for him to view. I knew you were right for the job. Chris thought he'd better keep his opinions to himself on that count. Robert had been supportive and lenient so far, and the man was writing his paychecks. Instead, he watched the video Haley had taken of his little moonwalk. All right. He sighed, quickly planting a kiss in Haley's hair. I guess I forgive you. That does look pretty cool. It's actually the first time I've seen my dragon form from another perspective, too. May I please see it? Isabella asked, leaving her two colleagues to quibble over the authenticity of the lunar artifacts. It appeared that Ivan's resolution was weakening, and the deputy director was glancing at the two youngsters more reverently than skeptically now. Sure. Haley passed the phone over to the dark-haired scientist. That was you? The woman asked Chris after the second playthrough. Yeah. Chris shrugged, feeling a bit embarrassed. Though I never would have made it up there without Haley. She's the brains of the operation. I'd like to hear more. Isabella prompted. While still uneasy with what she'd seen, the inexplicable excited her enough to put aside her disbelief and hear the rest of the story. Besides, it sounded like they were just about to get to the really juicy part. You mentioned you were trying to test a fusion reactor? Is that what caused the energy burst we detected? That's right, Haley said cautiously. We used one of Chris' orbs to create a hydrogen plasma and compressed it to incredible density. We were only trying to see if we could seed some deuterium. We weren't prepared for the reaction to continue at an accelerated, impossible. Ivan barked indignantly, thumping a wrinkled fist on the wooden table with renewed ardor. You can't fuse pure hydrogen. The half-life of a proton in the sun is about one billion years before it even gets a chance to emit a positron. Yes, but... Haley tried. No buts, girl. This has been entertaining, I'll admit. You won't slip blatant fudgery like that past me. The old scientist said imperiously. He was pleased to see that he'd cowed the blonde upstart. You're spitting lies and you're not even bothering to make them half-believable. Apologize. Chris threatened quietly, barely restrained temper rising at the accusation. I... I won't. Ivan spluttered back. Enough. The president stepped in. He could see that the dragon was about to escalate the defense of his girlfriend. I want to hear the rest of what happened. No more interruptions, Dr. Schmidt. Miss Sybin, please continue. Um, okay. Well, Chris has incredible control over anything going on inside one of his orbs. I'd already explained the current theory on beta decay as best I could. Our plan was to have him watching closely and wait for the first event we detected. We were hoping that with increased temperature, at least one might occur before we were forced to give up, and it did. When it happened, Chris got a feel for what we were looking for and used his magic to slightly increase the chance of an upquark changing to a down. It worked. Shocked silence reigned amongst the scientists. Even Ivan couldn't muster a protest, blinking oldishly with mouth agetti. The president and everyone else looked to each other, shrugging their admission of ignorance. The reaction came alive as soon as I put that condition in place. Chris supported. We were getting deuterium nucleating at a nice clip, and producing a ton of energy in the process. Incredible. Isabella breathed, her engineer's mind racing, leaping forward to potential application. Everyone at the table was listening avidly now, wanting to hear more even if they didn't believe. We sort of got a bit carried away with congratulating ourselves at that stage. Haley admitted sheepishly. We didn't realize that the reaction was continuing on past helium-3 so fast. It all happened so quickly. I still think the problem was all the trapped energy. Chris mused. I started having real trouble controlling the orb. There wasn't any risk of it breaking, I think, but I decided it was better to stop the reaction than let it carry on out of our control. I was really losing it at the end, so I let it out. That's what everyone saw. Beyond helium. Dr. Schmidt murmured incredulously to himself. Hotter than the sun. How did you make it directional? The deputy director asked. That's the most confusing aspect of our data. We couldn't figure out any natural cause for an impact, or even a solar event to create such a narrow beam of high-energy particles. We were only about ten meters away inside another sphere. Chris explained. When I let it go, 
I put a tiny hole in the reaction orb so that it was angled away from us, the moon, and earth. It still melted a decent trench in the moon's surface. I don't understand. The president frowned. Here I can demonstrate if you don't mind a slightly damp carpet, sir. The president agreed reluctantly, gesturing Chris to proceed. Chris stood, walking to a side table to collect a silver pitcher of water under the watchful eye of the bodyguards. He summoned a half-foot-wide orb and poured the contents in from above. It was simple to tell it to allow water in and prevent its escape, but the scientists were beginning to be truly impressed now. Water isn't the best, and I can't pressurize it too much, or we might cut through a wall. But watch when I allow only a small section of the orb to release water. It's sort of like a water gun, but instead imagine it's filled with stuff out of the sun's core. A pressurized stream of the clear liquid shot out, barely two feet to the right of Ivan's head. It showered him with agitated, warm mist and continued onward to splatter harmlessly to the floor. The old scientist nearly toppled backward out of his chair as Chris shrank the orb, forcing the jet to continue for another second under hydraulic force. You could have taken my head off. Ivan glared daggers at the young man whilst trying to regain his dignity. I'm starting to think I'd like to. Satisfied for the moment, Chris dumped the remaining water back into the pitcher, smiling wickedly all the while. I see. Robert scratched absently at the stubble beneath his chin, ignoring the conflict out of deference to his moistened carpet. The first lady wasn't going to be happy about that. Can we get that cleaned up, please? And I suppose it would have been bad if the real thing had been pointed at the planet? A chorus of fervent agreement swept around the table. We wouldn't have had a problem if our systems were more advanced. Haley was quick to add. I've been thinking of ways we could set parameters on Chris Orb to automatically regulate the density of the plasma within, and hence the temperature and rate of reaction. Also, if we were harvesting the energy for power generation, that would provide an outlet too. Putting a hole in it really wasn't smart, but it was what Chris came up with under stress. Yes, yes, a simple expansion of the reaction area diameter should have killed the reaction outright, theoretically. But how were you planning to collect all that energy? Isabella asked excitedly. They were really getting into her field of expertise now. To even imagine that someone had sustained a fusion reaction for a few minutes in her lifetime was incredible. What quantity of hydrogen did you start with? I think it was roughly 20 pounds. Chris answered. They're fucking mad. Ivan shook his head, dabbing the beads of water on his neck away with a handkerchief. If what you claim is true, you're lucky you didn't obliterate the moon. Don't be ridiculous, Ivan. Isabella spoke in their defense. Only a tiny percentage of that mass would have had a chance to fuse in their time frame. We're not talking complete mass energy conversion or anything crazy. I think this has incredible potential. I think so too. Haley agreed. I've got a couple working theories for how to harvest the energy. The most promising involves surrounding the orb with a thick layer of molten gold containing a web of platinum electrodes suspended inside, possibly some carbon, too. Chris has a magical affinity to precious metals and we're not sure yet what he might be able to pull off. So, you're going after the neutrons. Very interesting. Williamson whistled appreciatively. She knows her stuff? Absolutely. Isabella smiled at Haley, who opened like a flower in spring sunshine at the small praise. It's complete guesswork, but if they can harvest heat and neutron radiation safely, they'll have direct and indirect generation streams. It would be orders of magnitude more efficient than our best fission reactors. You could easily power a Martian base with something like that. You could power roughly half the country by my estimates. Haley corrected. Though distribution with existing infrastructure would present a huge problem. Why are you coming forward about this? The deputy director asked. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that creatures like you even exist. We're people too, you know. Chris corrected, though he wasn't too concerned with the slight. I decided we'd better come forward and explain what happened after all that nonsense on TV about nuclear weapons testing. I don't want any more tension between world leaders than absolutely necessary. The revelation can't handle it. You might be surprised. The president smirked wryly. If all the preparation for the revelation has yielded one truly positive result so far it's that the world's leaders are more communicative and tolerant with each other. I got a phone call from the Russian premier within minutes and China not long after. It didn't take us long to figure out it wasn't any of us. Though I'm not sure how they'll feel when they find out our pet dragon was conducting experimental tests on the moon. That might be difficult to explain. Chris was nobody's pet, but he clenched his jaw and let it slide. That wasn't strictly true, he reflected. 
Sometimes it seemed like he might be Petra's or Lillian's pet. It depended on how playful a mood those experienced goddesses were in. Weapons testing would be easier to explain than this. Ivan muttered but stopped his grumbling as an idea came to him. Now wait just a moment, you took yourself up to the moon just like that. Could you get back again? Do you think you could go to other planets? Give me a few hours and I can go get you Buzz Aldrin's freeze-dried shit if that's what you want. Chris chuckled, still cultivating his grudge for the adversarial old coot. Don't be mean, Chris. Haley scolded gently. I appreciate you sticking up for me, but I don't blame Dr. Schmidt for being skeptical. I've read a few of his papers and he's admirably meticulous about not jumping to misleading conclusions or over-speculating. The answer is yes. I think Chris could reasonably transport cargo or personnel almost anywhere in the inner solar system, given time. That raises possibilities. Williamson said thoughtfully. I want one. Isabella's eyes sparkled greedily and she turned to tease her new young friend. How much does it cost to borrow him, Haley? I need to be convinced. Chris raised a finger to check their obvious scheming. I've got my hands plenty full here at home without playing taxi for you lot. Isn't that right, sir? Absolutely. The president quickly agreed. Chris is vital for our developing magical law enforcement branch, and he's got a young family too. I certainly wouldn't want you poaching him for a science project until after the revelation has gone off and things are running smoothly. Speaking of which, Chris, you and I need to have a discussion about our friend in the South before you go. But sir. Mars? Mercury? Dr. Kettering protested. Oh. Venus. Chris sighed. This Isabella woman was worse than Haley. He could see his already scant time for leisure going up in smoke if they put their heads together. Look, I hear you. And don't whine, I raise your budget by almost 50% over the last administration. Robert raised his hands helplessly. We just have bigger priorities at the moment, like a population that's about to go through what you just did. By Dr. Schmidt's reaction, we're in for a bumpy ride. I'm sure it can wait, and we'll still be working on developing our reactor. Haley spoke up. I would really appreciate some help with that. Also, there are other ways Chris and I have been discussing to productively use his abilities. There are plenty of things to do actually here on Earth before we get carried away with the rest of the solar system. For instance, it should be possible for him to start siphoning carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. You're not serious, are you? What? Chris laughed at the gobsmacked scientists. If I can make a miniature star hotter than the sun, that shouldn't be so unbelievable. That's not nearly as crazy as some of her other plans. Tell them, Haley. I don't know. She hesitated, glancing up at him with a nervous tuck of recently short blonde hair. Some of them were sort of out there. I'd certainly like to hear them. Deputy Director Williamson encouraged, collecting enthusiastic nods from his colleagues on either side. I know a whole team of extremely frustrated Earth scientists back at Goddard who would jump at the prospect of pulling carbon straight out of the atmosphere. What else do you think might be possible with magic? Go on. Chris nudged her before leaning down to whisper in her ear. See, they love you. The arrival of lunch briefly interrupted the increasingly animated discussion that sprung up between Haley and the three scientists. Robert and Chris ended up excusing themselves shortly after the meal when it became apparent that the technical diarrhea wasn't going to abate for some time. I in the more private setting of some sort of old-fashioned sitting room they got down to what was, for them, the more pressing issue. Unsanctioned lunar arms testing, good-sized meteorites, or even extraterrestrials weren't their biggest concern. That honor fell to a particular demon who, it was rightly noted, probably did count as an extraterrestrial. At least they both hoped he did. Robert Falconer had been blindsided by Michelle's fateful phone call the previous day. He admitted he was still reeling, in fact, so was the inner circle of the revelation movement. Chris could commiserate on that front, it felt like his proverbial cheek was still smarting from the slap of Roddick's unmasking. For him though, there was the added weight of his own uncertain, possibly deific heritage. Even as the president muttered about the political damage the secret existence of demons was causing, Chris gritted his teeth and swallowed his own secret just a little bit deeper. It wouldn't be so bad if you didn't actually call them demons. The president groused. The word has unavoidable connotations. Everyone has their own preconceptions and fears. I've got combat-tested generals pulling Bibles out of their back pockets and wetting their slacks like the end of the world is coming. Any semblance of sense seemed to fly out the window as soon as that word surfaced. There are actually calls to scrap the entire revelation, like it would somehow make the problem disappear. 
That's the thing though, sir. Radek is an actual, honest-to-goodness demon, like something out of a horror movie. Brazil, grunted Robert. That was more than your average horror movie, that's for damn sure. Really though, what are they, Chris? What is a demon? If there's a satisfactory answer to that floating around, no one's thought to include me. The young dragon replied. There's a problem with selling this narrative, see? Bear with me while I play this scenario out. The president cleared his throat and put on a mock serious face. Good citizens of this fine nation, here are all these magical, mythical, dangerous creatures from the fairy tales and boogie stories you know and love. They've been living amongst us in secret for thousands of years, altering our memories and sucking our blood as they see fit. But don't worry, that's all in the past now, and from today onward we'll all live happily ever after. At that point, the leader of the nation broke off and switched to a comical, almost falsetto voice of what Chris could only assume was an attempt at evangelical soccer mom. You mean it's really like Pastor Henderson said all along? Fire and brimstone, foul creatures coming to eat my immortal soul and sodomize my precious child? My little Johnny? We should kill all these demons before they get us, whatever it takes. Now don't be ridiculous. The president's chest swelled as he prepared to rebut his adversary in his best presidential tone. They're nothing like demons at all. It's mostly the cool, sexy monsters from those erotic fantasies you hide from your husband. Hunky vampires, curvy nymphs, breathtaking elves, and the like. There are a few bad eggs, sure, but we can handle them. Trust us. Besides, turns out magic is real, isn't that just fantastic? Well, I did always wonder about that Barbara woman two houses down. Too many cats, you know? The housewife mused back, unconvinced. But hold on now, do I get magic? No. The president shook his head somberly. I'm afraid it might put you out of a job, though, and your meager life savings are probably worthless because of the market crash. Oh, and before I forget, it turns out demons are real, too. There's at least one that we know about here on Earth. He's actually the one who tipped us off about the dragons and the fairies. But don't worry about it, trust us. Trust that your elected officials have been handling this perfectly for months now behind closed doors. We'll handle the demon. We know what we're doing. He emphasized the last point with an energetic thump on an imagined lectern. Well, I say they're all demons and we should burn them, just to be safe. Robert parroted back in the high voice. I'm going down to the department store for an assault rifle and a pitchfork just as soon as I finish hanging out this washing to dry. Now don't be hasty. There's certainly no need for that. That's probably because you're a treacherous demon, too. The president chirped comically. I never voted for you anyway. Chris chuckled, astonished. He never would have believed that Robert Falconer, straight-shooting leader of the free world, had it in him to put such a show of humorous self-depreciation. If it wasn't all so terrifyingly plausible, it might have been hilarious. I think I get the point, sir. No, Chris, you don't, sighed the president, leaning closer across a coffee table that had historical significance simply by virtue of residing in the building. Son, are you a demon? What? No. Chris spluttered, genuinely confused. I'm a dragon. Well, what's the difference? Robert smiled very softly. His tone was more friendly than accusing. Understand I'm playing the devil's avoca. Jesus H. Christ, you know what I mean. Yes. Well, I guess it's sort of hard to prove that I'm not a demon when there's magic involved, or that I'm not a sorceress carrot in disguise for that matter. But I have a whole family who could testify that I haven't collected the blood from any butchered farm animals, recently. Calling all harem members to the witness stand. The president chuckled, cupping his hands around his mouth as if to summon his brood. Keep digging. But that's got nothing to, so you do live in sin? Chris threw his hands up in defeat. I saw you and Vanessa trying to bore holes in each other back there. Robert sat back, smiling wryly at the predicament they were all in. One of Michelle Hammond's contemporaries. XCIA, and it's her job to plan for contingencies. Let me tell you, she's getting a lot more support after yesterday. So that was the woman who stole the scowl off a bald eagle. The older man chuckled at the description. Don't even get me started. I heard an admiral once joke that she could shoot down a Nimitz class full of jets with that stare. Called her a national treasure. She's good at her job though, very good. Well, I've got two jets of plasma for her if she ever contingisizes me. Chris grumbled, mostly good-naturedly. Let me try to fill you in on as much as I know. In the end, all we can judge anyone, or anything, by are their actions. I'm at least trying my best to help. 
I know, Chris. I know. It took quite a while, and Chris had to draw on all of his patchy knowledge of ancient being lore to bring the president up to speed about the barrier, Roddick's logical target, and the Ian's old war fought by incomprehensible powers for the fate of the planet. Again, he declined to mention his own theorized connection to that struggle. They shared a deep worry that the Synod wasn't handling the issue competently, not that either could think of a winning scenario for dealing with a provoked demon on the run. It just didn't sit right to back off when they had come so close to taking him out. He also warned Robert to keep an eye out for irregular occurrences around the White House. The localized concentration of hostile ether denizens was alarming, but at least they didn't appear to be preying on humans. He couldn't think of an explanation or an immediate solution other than to be on guard. The president was eventually called away to other duties, reminding Chris about the upcoming UN summit he was on the list to attend. When the young man grumbled, Robert doubled down on pointing out the importance of having beings visible to meet and talk to leaders and policymakers at the ratification of their own damn treaty. After a firm handshake and a pat on the shoulder, Chris was escorted back to find Haley. In his absence, the talk had grown even more technical. It was interesting, but he mostly sat it out patiently, chipping in here and there. Haley was a well and truly out of her shell, animatedly outlining her ambitious plan for the Sahara Desert. Following behind, several even crazier, truly experimental schemes like her muon trap were thrown on the table. Her audience lapped it all up, skeptical yet cautiously encouraging. Seeing was believing to these types, Chris thought. They certainly seemed impressed with Haley's grasp of physics though. Exhausted, Deputy Director Williamson inevitably succumbed to sleep, slumping in his chair. The dragon decided that that was their cue to leave. They exited in the most mundane way possible, the East Wing main entrance. After a brief consultation of their phones, they caught a cab across town to Rock Creek Park. Haley was abuzz with excitement and a renewed lust to forge ahead with her projects. Isabella's business card burned like a fiery ember in her pocket. The researcher had been manically enthusiastic to work with them in any way she could, even offering to drop her current projects and come to visit Haley in Denver for a few weeks. She was almost skipping, and only a little disappointed when they had to forego a trip to the Smithsonian Zoo, despite her high-spirited pestering. Beside her, Chris loomed massive, stalwart, and more serious than usual. Something was weighing on his mind, she could tell. The dragon was about as forthcoming as a slab of granite though, so she ignored his mood to focus her mind inward toward the challenging tasks ahead. It took half an hour of walking in the cold afternoon breeze until he was satisfied that they wouldn't be seen. Finally, they slipped off the wooded path into a little ravine, ducked under a footbridge, and phased all the way home. Roddick didn't mind the cold, at least he told himself that before. But as he half-trudged, half-tumbled over the last frozen ridgeline and saw the end of the accursed snow far below him, a shudder of palpable relief swept out to every nigh-frozen extremity. Ice bearded his eyelashes, not at the exposed hand that could not risk releasing his precious cargo. He'd spent another three hard-earned souls just to make it over those damned mountains with some reasonable speed, putting distance between himself and his pursuers. He hadn't dared take any of the major passes, instead relying on slowly burning through his precious energy to bound up and across the apex of the continent-dividing range. It had been arduous, a constant battle against howling wind, savage cold, and sticky spring snows. At one point, his bellow of frustration at tumbling down a particularly steep slope had triggered an avalanche in the peaks above. He'd been battered and bruised, buried under an unstoppable white tidal wave. But he didn't let go of the briefcase. It took more than an hour to dig himself out without the use of easily detected magic. A terrible mood was upon him when he finally slunk down onto the rocky slopes exposed by the springtime melt. His primal rage burned hot, but did nothing about the bone-deep chill that had taken up residence in his miserable human body. Eventually, he made it down the mountainside into a verdant forest. Two hapless hikers crossed his path and were quickly devoured, leaving behind blackened, crumbling husks. That went some way to appease, and he finally found a place to collapse in exhaustion after disposing of the corpses, carefully this time. His sanctuary was a small, sunny clearing, carpeted with lush growth. He slumped with his back against a warm boulder, pulling the briefcase to his chest with shivering, frost-bitten hands. A plucked thatch of moss soon took the role of pillow, sacrificing its life for the comfort of his neck. This shaking, aching, construct of a body was a pitiful thing. It felt like hours before he warmed and relaxed enough to sleep, and even then it was restless, unsatisfying. His mind was full of snapping jaws, wolf snarls, and that bitch-off smile as her arrow sank into him. 
failure had never been so close that he started awake at the sound of bestial grunting and snapping twigs. For the tiniest fraction of a moment, Roddick sleepily wondered how, after all this time, one of his demonic brethren had found him. It must be a lowly creature indeed to slip through the barrier, a newborn imp or perhaps an idiotic garzan. Nothing that could actually assist him now would ever fit through a sliver of a rift like that. A family of wild pigs oinked their way into his clearing and began rooting amongst the tender shoots that were getting a head start on the growing season. Roddick sat up, his mind clearing as he realized the true source of the confounding sounds. To his own surprise, he wasn't angry. It was a sign. He even smiled. How fortuitous that his dinner ran right into his LAP.AS a young hog spun slowly in the air above his fire, sizzling and releasing the most alluring scents. Roddick considered his options for what felt like the umpteenth time. Far to the north, he could barely sense his small minions winging tirelessly to find one of his last potential allies. So much might depend on the response. But Roddick was shaken by how close he'd come to ruin. This plan was so long in the making, so vital, and he'd gambled everything on its success. With a shake of his head, Roddick knew it was too much to rely heavily on one such as Azanoth.it was make or break for Roddick now. To succeed, to offer up such a prize as this bloated world, would elevate him to the ranks of her most favored generals. No, he would claim the position of consort. A shiver of ecstasy crawled up his spine. Even the thought of such an ambitious elevation set his cock hardening. To fail, however. Well, if that was his destiny, better to let these filthy creatures finish him rather than face her wrath again. Azanoth could not be his lynchman at this late stage, treacherous half-spawn that he was. No, he would have to execute his personal revenge against the fledgling dragon in careful synchronization with whatever diversion Azanoth could provide. The window for passivity, for gathering strength, was already slamming shut. Yes. He murmured to himself as he reached over the flames to rip off a chunk of fatty, succulent meat. Time to lose this pathetic shell. To the north, there must be a large city. Radek could hear the clamor of souls, they called to his hungry power. There lay the opportunity to cause enough havoc to complete his preparations. He was tired of running. Fleeing into the desolate fjords to the south would only leave him more exposed when his hunters next caught up to him. No more. Contented, he closed his eyes as he popped another tasty morsel in his mouth, savoring the smoky, wild taste. He could feel the faint tug, the approaching conjunction that, combined with his, lengthy preparations, would bring him glory and favor beyond imagining. Already the enemy's barrier was subtly rippling in response, not unlike the ocean's tides in response to the tug of the moon. It was still a minuscule thing though. He wondered if its creators had ever considered such an attack? Probably not, if he'd already made it so painfully close to success. Fitting then, that the spell which had thwarted his kind by inserting magical instabilities into their rifts, would now be exploited with similar finesse that IT wasn't long now. Ian spent alone and starving, a prisoner of empty, sourceless darkness didn't matter now. They were all about to pay dividends, and a more glorious and fitting reward he couldn't begin to imagine. Emmy bolded to them immediately when Chris and Haley merged back into the apartment. A hip height, blue-winged missile of happiness. It's snowing! The sprite chirped excitedly, clambering up Chris' body to cling around his neck. So it is. He chuckled, walking them to a window to look out on the slushy white beginning to blanket the streets below. With wings quivering in childlike elation, Chris could tell she desperately wanted to run outside and frolic. It's pretty late this year. Haley observed as the thick, clingy sludge began to settle on the sidewalks. As a Denver local, she was used to a snowbound life for much of the year. It didn't mean she liked it, but it was great for staying warm indoors, studying, reading. Or, she imagined, romancing a hunky dragon. Petra ghosted up behind them, given away by the quiet clicking of her heels. She slid a hand around onto his abdomen, pulling herself close as she nibbled the back of his neck affectionately. That effectively completed the brood sandwich crowding him gently against the window with palpable affection. It's a wonderful time of year for indoor pursuits. The dragoness teased saucily, her full breasts pillowing just below his shoulder blades. That's just what I was thinking. Haley laughed, refusing to relinquish her position on his right side. Not to be outdone, she buried his elbow between her own bust. Can we go up on the roof? Amy begged from his left. Please, master. Please, please, please. I'll be good, I promise. He gave her full blue lips a kiss, keeping her quiet. All right, little one. Not for too long. Annabelle spoke up from the living room. Michelle's plane is landing soon, 
and it might be nice for Chris to meet them all at the airport seeing as he left them high and dry on their mission. That's probably a good idea. Thanks, D. Anyone else want to come along for some snow fun? Not on your life. Petra snickered. I think I'll have a nice warm bath while you two freeze. No thanks. Haley demurred. I want to make some notes while it's all still fresh in my mind. It went well then? The silver-haired dragoness asked. You averted a nuclear calamity? It went okay. Chris frowned. No calamity to avert actually, but we're alive and well, and Haley has a new friend. I'm concerned though, the ether around the White House was full of nasties I've never even heard of before. We got caught unprepared, ambushed by a huge flock of what Haley thinks are shrikes. I got stabbed by some sort of dirty hedge licker, and the ground was lousy with leeches. Oh my. Immy squeezed his waist tighter with exquisitely toned legs. That sounds terrible. I've had to run from Shrike several times, nasty, wicked eyeless beasties. They should all be exterminated, right after the fairies. It was damn scary. Haley admitted, watching Chris shake his head at the sprite's casual genocidal pronouncement. I'm glad you're safe, sire. Petra nuzzled against his skin. You'd better go if you plan on tiring Immy out before you head to the airport. Much to Immy's protest, Chris made her put on a wind-customized t-shirt and tiny spandex shorts before they went up to the roof to see the snow. The building wasn't particularly high though, and he only took a few steps onto the roof before he bustled the pouting sprite back inside. It was way too exposed to other buildings, and the constant whine of various ventilation units was intolerable to his enjoyment anyway that he jumped them to Jethry's front doorstep. They weren't disappointed. A solid half-foot had already settled on the ground and juicy, huge flakes were falling steadily from the heavens. You could barely see more than thirty feet in the near whiteout conditions. Uncaring, Immy shrieked joyously, flung off her clothes, and ran flapping out into the yard without a care that IT must have been infectious because Chris followed her lead moments later. He chased the squealing sprite in his naked hybrid form. Around the house they went, and out into the pristine snow covering a large field. When he finally caught the mischievous little nymph, he dumped her unceremoniously into a forming drift. With no clothes to stuff snow inside, he rubbed great handfuls of it all through her beautiful, dark hair. She hollered her outrage, promising dire retribution as soon as he let her up. The ensuing magical snow fight was epic. With muttered incantations, Imi summoned herself a vast, ten-foot-high castle out of the falling flakes. The damn thing came complete with battlements, miniature snow-flinging catapults, and an even higher tower from which to command her wintry dominion. Chris had to retreat wholesale from the ferocity which met his first assault on the wall. She cackled like an evil wizard, flinging huge volleys of snowballs to pelt down on him. These were followed by wild bolts of vivid lightning as her siege engines reloaded. He'd barely weathered that storm, only just making it to the shelter of the castle wall. It was as he attempted to get a grip on the icy surface to claw upward when she dropped a full-sized snowman on his head. And that's why you don't mess with my hair! She laughed as he ran from her vengeance that he caught his breath outside of the range of her snowslingers, wondering how he was going to defeat her. To be honest, she'd sort of scared him with her ferocity. His entire right arm tingled maddeningly where she'd zapped him, in the end, he came at her with his orbs. She screamed and wailed how much of a dirty cheater he was as he swiped huge chunks out of her fortifications. Another dark orb acted as a shield above his head, placidly absorbing everything she could think to throw at him. He couldn't see what she was using for ammunition, but he would have sworn he heard a plaintive bleat and some indignant clucking near the end, when only her tower was left standing, and she was hopping mad atop one of its frozen crenellations he struck. Phasing upward faster than one of her lightning bolts, he vanished. Immy only suffered a moment of confusion before he pounced on her from the snowy sky like a bird of prey. They tumbled together as her snow tower collapsed around them. Eyes wild with excitement and a healthy dose of terror, she fought him for all of two seconds before morphing into the persona of a coquettish, vanquished princess. It seemed she was quite eager to become the spoils of war, boldly offering her virtue to her conqueror. Apparently, such was the custom in these harsh, imaginary lands. Who was he to buck tradition? Either of them minded the cold because his cock quickly swelled as she squirmed her torso against it. The little minx pushed her arms together, smushing her growing breasts on either side of his throbbing erection. Her small hands were warm and teasing, heated by the magic she'd just been channeling. That wicked pink little tongue of hers was exquisite, darting out to lap up his dribbling pre-ejaculate, or tease his massive knob and its pronounced corona ridge. 
She jerked him like a pro in the ruins of her castle, worshipping his manhood as she demanded her reward with lusty eyes. With plump blue lips, she kissed every inch of him, paying particular attention to his cold shrunk, hefty testicles and their maddening, musky scent. Muffled content noises combined exquisitely with her pure eagerness and the lingering excitement of the recent battle. It didn't take long for his throbbing shaft to cough up what it owed. Emmy was one happy, overwhelmed, greedy little cum monster as she fed to the point of bursting. When Jethri arrived from one of the backfields to investigate the kerfuffle, he found them cuddling in a perfect little igloo, complete with crackling magical fireplace. The sprite's blue tummy was bulging, and she was in an almost drunken state of lazy bliss. Outside, two sheep and a small flock of hens he didn't recognize wandered confused through the disturbed snow. Get on home, you horny cretins! The old workout laughed, eyeing Emmy's perfect, fun-sized assets openly as she stumbled back toward the house to collect her clothes. Damn, son! You're fitting to cause yourself trouble with that one when she's grown. Good thing you're hung like old Kellerman's stud donkey, huh? Shut up, Jethri. Chris groaned, unable to contain his own humor and embarrassment at being caught naked in the act. Pishaw, you just bring that sweet vampire with you next time you want to tumble in the snow. Now them some tits I gotta see before I die. Now there's one that's a handful in the bedroom. Chris shrank ever so slightly back into his human form and began helping the old workout round up his new stock. No kidding. Jethri enthused. More than a handful if I'm not mistaken. That's not. Okay, alright. Credit where credit is due. What I meant was that she can be quite demanding, and she's into some stuff I. Jethri, have you ever, you know, a woman's bottom? His mentor grunted in surprise, stopping in the falling snow to look up at Chris as a huge grin split across his face. I fucking knew it, ha. Huh? Have I got a story or two to tell you? He trailed off, darting in to punch the dragon's shoulder playfully. You hold on to that one for dear life, son. A woman who genuinely loves it in the butt is worth her weight in gold. Especially if she wants to tackle someone like you. Just for God's sake be gentle with that damn cannon you're packing. They trudged back toward the white-covered farm buildings. Jethri regaled him the whole way with tales containing questionable advice and vivid details. If they were to be believed, he had his eyes open to those particular delights almost a half-century back, when he stumbled across a beautiful, lonely water elemental in the northern Rockies. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Robert Falconer glared around the dim, mostly screenlit room. The blue-tinted light made some of his advisors look positively ghoulish, exaggerating haggard expressions and dark-rimmed eyes. At least some of the men and women he'd handpicked for their jobs had the decency to avert their eyes in what he could hope was shame. That young man is the most promising magical resource we've discovered to date, and thanks largely to Hammond, he's actually cooperating with us. Now you're telling me you want to jeopardize all of that because you're what? Scared? Co-fucking operating. Look it up, it requires good faith between the sir. Vanessa Harwell interrupted fearlessly, leaning forward to address the president, seated at the head of the table. Michelle Hammond is likely compromised. No one is suggesting that we have him eliminated in the near future, simply that his claimed powers require a rethinking of our strategy when it comes to Christopher Barrist. We need to be prepared if the relationship sours for whatever reason. With all due respect, he is too dangerous to assume he will always be on our side. From what I heard today, he could just about step out of thin air at any moment and kill us all from behind an impenetrable death ball. There wouldn't be a thing any of us could do to stop him. The president took stock of the reaction around the war room, glancing from face to face. It was the fucking demon thing, he knew it. His fist clenched hard in frustration, hard enough to make the old shrapnel wound in his right hand groan in protest. There was a tendon or two in there that had never quite healed right, but he'd always counted himself lucky. He'd seen what happened to the poor bastards on the other side, cooked alive inside tanks turned oven by his incendiary penetrators. He sighed, more of a careful exhalation really, feeling the weight of leadership. It was an iron yoke on his shoulders, crushing him like it never had in his military days. That's exactly right, Vanessa, he probably could. In fact, he could be listening to this very conversation for all you know, any being could. How do you think he would react then? Would he be justified doing exactly what you just outlined? I know I certainly would laugh off a room full of supposed allies plotting how to stab me in the back, just in case dot. A nervous silence grew in the room, but the president had only paused to let the point sink in. While we're at it, get your collective heads out of your asses about the sex. 
so he sleeps with a few women, good for them. Direct your indignation more constructively toward the hundreds of cases of domestic abuse and sexual assault that slip through the cracks every day. The silence returned, and this time, Robert Falconer desperately hoped it was a thoughtful one as he closed his eyes and prayed for strength. Damn it, Robert, we're the government. A gruff voice spoke from further down the table. Robert didn't have to use his tired eyes to recognize it. You can't have someone that powerful running about without some sort of leash. It sounds like he's a walking, talking nuke. You'd take all this lying down, would you, George? Robert smiled, flipping the tables on the tough old veteran. In his position, I mean? You'd roll over and let a bunch of scared, old bastards with inflated opinions of themselves sucker punch you, and essentially hold your family hostage? Well, no, I guess not, but there isn't any but. I talked to him one-on-one -on -one this afternoon, actually asked him to his face if he was a demon. Robert chuckled, remembering the young man's confused indignation. He said all anyone ever actually has to judge someone by are their actions. The same applies to us, collectively as a nation, and individually as its leaders. You know, there isn't any anonymity, any real protection screening our actions here behind some magical governmental spell. That's a delusion we create for ourselves, and it's a deranged one if you think it will hold water to an elf or a dragon. I've had enough for tonight, but think on that before we reconvene tomorrow. Recalibrate your moral antenna while you're at it. This isn't a war, I don't plan on making it into one. Until it is, I won't stand for this brand of caveman problem solving. We'd probably lose. Naturally, Chris didn't make it to the airport to meet his returning heroines. When he and Emmy returned to the hotel suite, chilled and yet invigorated by their frisky lovemaking, everyone was already there, waiting. His roommates were chatting amiably amongst themselves or chipping in to help Annabelle with the last-minute preparations before dinner was served. Rayla's presence was a surprise, her contribution to the successful mission earning the elf an invitation to share the meal. I sorry, Michelle. Chris walked straight to his most recent brood member and gave her a tight hug. You know I didn't mean to skip out on you. It's okay. She murmured letting herself relax into his comforting embrace despite the protests of long-held instincts to avoid public affection. That was the thing with Chris, when he touched her, when he held her, she couldn't help but let the stress and fatigue just drain away, responsibilities be damned. Right then she didn't care that he'd been off blowing up the moon and couldn't help her in Argentina. She was just glad to be home, to feel his arms wrapping her in a warm blanket of acceptance and affection. Now that they were also lovers, she also couldn't help the small shudder of desire that ran up her spine in response to his touch. You can make it up to me tonight. I bargained with Annabelle for it to be my turn. I can't wait. He murmured quietly, squeezing her tight. Michelle looked up at him meaningfully, sheltered from the view of the other women over his shoulders. She went up on the toes of her boots to breathe her request in his ear. Chris, tonight I want you to fucking ruin me. His blue eyes dilated in anticipation as he nodded, silently accepting her avid desire. Haley stole my night. Claire grumped, flicking long red hair tempestuously over a creamy, exposed shoulder. Her flannel pajama bottoms and form-fitting tank top were at odds to some of the more professional or tactical attire worn by the other ladies, but they had thrown out any pretense of a dress code long ago. You know the drill, Claire. Annabelle shot back as she brought a piping platter of buttered, steamed greens to the table. If you miss out, it's up to you to sneak in some special time off the books. And I hardly think you're in a position to complain, what with the way we all hear you shrieking most mornings. The young dragoness stuck out a pink tongue at her first, wobbling her head back and forth absurdly. I'm sorry, Claire. Haley apologized nervously, still not used to the good-natured, but sometimes intimidating banter of a full-brood gathering. It wasn't easy for her to accept talking so openly or cheekily with powerful beings like Lillian or Petra. Lady Narlaki's presence wasn't helping one bit either. Her whole life she'd been at the bottom rung of magical society, and now they were trying to treat her like an equal. No, more like family. It's fine, don't worry about it. The fiery dragoness beamed at the young Lord Bison, slinking over to put a friendly arm around the uneasy blonde's shoulder. I was just taking the opportunity to whine about Michelle being in for a delicious evening. I understand things like going to the moon pop up every now and then. Just the price to be paid when we're mated to an ancient godling, huh? I'll just have to wait another week for my night of cuddles. Maybe I'll have to start doubling up with Mom, like Annabelle and Emmy. No, you don't, young lady. Petra waggled a finger at her daughter. You're a terrible hog, and I need Daddy's full attention. 
Lillian let out a throaty chuckle of approval. If you think we're getting extra nights because there are two of us, you're delusional. Annabelle swatted the redhead's bottom with an oven mitt as she went back to the kitchen for another dish. Rayla took that as her cue. I did wonder how you were running the sleeping arrangements. Daddy. The elf's snowy eyebrow arched as she grinned, pointed black ears tingling at the chance to fluster the dragon. This is not at all what I would expect from one with a magical link to the divine. Don't look at me. Chris shrugged as he reluctantly let Michelle go to greet the impatient vampire goddess. There was only so long you could safely ignore Lillian's menacing hover. I might be the dragon, but Annabelle lays down the law around here. It's better that way. Susan explained as she helped Annabelle by bringing out a pitcher of water and some glasses to the table. No favoritism, unless Lillian gets pushy. Lillian didn't see any reason to dignify that barb with a response, or to delay her own meal for that matter. Rather, her small vengeance and sizable appetite were taken out on Chris as she promptly sank her fangs into his shoulder. Ouch. He protested, she was being none too gentle. Powerful arms snaked around him, squeezing hungrily as she latched onto his neck. Damn it, Lillian, you're like a damned rabid octopus, I swear. Well, she's eating for two. Claire chortled. Lillian squeezed him harder still, a contented, purring constrictor sucking the life right out of him. Hey! Emmy tiredly raised a lazy hand from her swollen tummy. Her small blue digits barely coming above the top of the reclining chair where she'd collapsed to gesture in an encompassing motion at the assembled ladies. Chris is getting some octopus, get it, Rayla? A chorus of groans answered the sprite's dubious joke. Ah, uh, yes, I think I do. Not the best example of your natty wit, Imianth. It was the elf's turn to be embarrassed now, though thankfully her dark skin helped hide the heat in her cheeks. Was he genuinely satisfying all eight women? The evidence couldn't be denied, already three wombs were beginning to swell, an impossible display of magical fecundity. All his mates were brimming with magic and vitality. It veritably bombarded her sensitive magical perception, a constant reminder that she was missing out. Imi, don't be crude in front of guests. Petra scolded gently on Annabelle's behalf. Her first was occupied, too busy trying to wrangle a colossal turkey roast out of the oven without upset, to discipline the sprite. Sometimes I swear there's a salty old sailor inside that adorable blue body. Chris chuckled as Lillian finally set him free with a series of lingering licks and kisses. That left him able to complete his duties as host. Please, Rayla, have a seat. Tell me about what it was like to get out of the territory for a while. Would you like a drink? I'm sure there's a nice bottle or two of wine in the fridge. Soon everyone was seated, and the meal was served. It was a veritable feast. The conversation was lively and everyone ended up talking and slowly working their way through the array of dishes for over an hour. Annabelle called it her practice Thanksgiving, and the gobbler was moist and tender as could be. Chris set to with his usual gusto but especially looked forward to the turkey sandwiches he could take for lunch in the coming days. However, it was the spicy scent of pumpkin pie wafting out of the kitchen that had him practically squirming in his seat and graciously refusing a third helping of fluffy, sage-infused stuffing. He had to save room. The best part was that the real event was still a few weeks away, and Annabelle promised an even grander feast on the actual holiday. Rayla pointed out that it was unusual for beings to observe human festivals, but Chris quickly sprang in to advocate the tradition's virtues. He went so far as to point out tenuous similarities between the revelation and the situation between the colonial settlers and the native Indians. It was at best a weak thread to grasp at, but there could be no ground given when it came to the defense of any banquet. Annabelle joined her voice to his though, adamant she wasn't about to abandon her favorite cooking event on the calendar just because they were now a magical family. The bemused elf was invited to join them again for the real celebration, assured by the boastful dragon that she would be forced to concede the culinary merits of Thanksgiving and his first skill in the kitchen. He also claimed that by then, they would be settled into their new home. That certainly kindled Rayla's interest, especially as a barrage of eager questions from his brood began to slam into him from all sides. It seemed his mates were being kept mostly in the dark on its construction, except for Haley and to a lesser extent, Lillian. Rayla accepted the invitation, eager to see what the dragon had in store for his mysterious lair. The cover-up operation in Argentina was, of course, the evening's hot topic. Lillian did much of the recounting, allowing an exhausted Michelle a chance to eat in peace. Everyone was eager to hear Stemari and Balgraf's account of fighting the demon. It was worrying that one of the Synod's most dedicated hunters hadn't been able to best Roddick.in Argentina, 
They'd been busy from the moment they stepped off the plane and met their intelligence service contact. Reinforcing the cordon and securing the witnesses had been their first priority before the camera crew arrived. Then, racing against the clock to meet the morning broadcast, they frantically completed as much filming as they could before night fell. The breakout by the survivors had thrown them, turning a late night into a sleepless one for most of Michelle's team. Before dawn, they were back out at the scene with Rayla, pulling together the last details before they went live. Fooling the camera during the small live cross had been the most dangerous part. But with the elf's magic, they'd managed to make an exhibition of bloody carnage look more like a dressed movie set. Rayla chipped in at that point in an attempt to explain the nature of the extensive illusory enchantments she'd employed. It was evidently quite impressive because Imi oohed and odd appreciatively. That sort of complex spell weaving was beyond the rest of them though. Chris' diamond gift had proved invaluable to power the spells. Rayla was thankful no one questioned how she thought to snatch it up when they departed Denver on such short notice. It would have been terribly embarrassing to admit she'd been carrying Chris' gift with her almost everywhere she went. Despite her weak protests, Chris insisted that they would refill the large diamond for her as soon as they caught up with the backorder of crystals stacking up in Petra's books. Overall, Michelle was optimistic about the operation. Her old allies at the NSA had successfully distributed their slightly doctored versions of the original recording, muddying the waters. The news cycle was already starting to move on, thanks in no small part to Chris and Haley. Their unintentional distraction was proving quite useful for drawing attention away from the potential demonic crisis. The speculation of an unsanctioned nuclear weapons test on the moon was a sensational, panic-mongering headline. The media companies were playing it to the hilt, and the lack of any other official explanation was lending the wildest theories credibility. Rayla excused herself graciously after the meal, walking back through the deserted underground passageways to her book-filled, solitary existence. Her ordered mind was staggering after the bombardment of sense, conversation, tastes, tantalizing magic, and perhaps one too many glasses of that white wine. Outside of the occasional formal banquet she was required to throw once or twice a year, her evenings were peaceful, quiet affairs. Dinner with the dragon's brood was happy chaos. Upon leaving, she found herself unconsciously fingering his diamond, hidden safely in a concealed pocket of her fur-lined robe. Her ancient bones were brimming with involuntary sexual tension as she stroked the jewel, sampling the smoky, tantalizing flavor of his magic. Damn him. As the elf took herself to bed for some relief with a favored toy, a wickedly ingenuous gnomish device, Chris helped Annabelle clear the table. The others had scattered to various entertainments and tasks, but he could hear Emmy and Claire debating what sort of movie they were going to watch from the living room. When he loaded the dishwasher and Annabelle shooed him away, for the intolerable offense of hovering, he joined them in time to catch the beginning of some classic action movie. Emmy was already cheering the protagonist, loudly. Claire and Petra cuddled together on a plush couch, the redhead rolling her eyes indulgently at the sprite's animated enthusiasm. Chris settled beside Haley on another lounge set, distracting her from scribbled notes, with a series of feather-light kisses against ear and jaw. Stop that. She eventually protested as his hands started to wander lecherously. Chris, I'm trying to work. Come over here, handsome. Susan hussed as she emerged from the bathroom and glided up against his other side. Clad only in a silvery, sleek bathrobe, the mature which presented an irresistible distraction to the lusty young dragon. Her raven hair was still wet from the shower falling loosely around her shoulders as she nestled in close to whisper in his ear. I'll suffer your attentions for a while. Suffer, huh? His eyes narrowed playfully. Promptly, Susan found herself deposited sideways in his lap, his hands on her waist like warm bands of iron, holding her in place. MHH, I don't mind one bit. She cooed back, trying her best to squirm against the firmness she felt growing rapidly under her near-naked bottom. Susan beamed up at him, feeling incredibly sexy to draw out such a swift and undeniable reaction. It was impossible not to tease him at least a little as she wrapped her arms around his neck and moistened her lips in anticipation of their inevitable kiss. Oh, what's this I feel, sugar bear? Are you all pent up again? Well, I am now. He growled, enjoying her familiar scent and the warm trickle of her breath on his skin in the final moment before their mouths met. The movie was forgotten then, lost as he explored the delights of Susan's loving, soft affection. His lips didn't leave her freshly washed, pale skin for more than a few seconds at a time. If they had, it would have been a personal failing. His hands became bold as she shimmied into his touch leaking cute little noises of encouragement. The swell of her hips was a particular favorite for his ardent pawing, 
especially the fantastic softness right where her narrowed into her waist. Gently squeezing those lovely handles and running his fingers provocatively across her stomach as they Frenched was divine. He could have happily continued, but it was all too much for her. Despite their audience, Susan took his big hand and with a tortured moan, guided it inside the silky robe. Across creamy, softly padded tummy flesh, she pulled him down, down into the warm, curly forest on the slope of her mons. Chris grinned cockily, watching her eyelids flutter imploringly as he ran his nails lightly through her full, dark bush. She was panting when he finally touched the warm, plump flesh of her vulva. Probing digits were instantly wet with a generous slathering of her slippery, buttery cream. He sank too inside her roughly, eliciting a guttural cry of pleasure that had all the women in the room looking right at them. The beautiful which hid her blushing face against his neck as he pumped large fingers slowly back and forth within her. Ike didn't take long at all. Susan came as quietly as she could, her entire body shaking as she bit his shoulder to stifle her body's cry of joy. He'd found that rough little patch not too far inside her vagina and worked it diligently, rubbing his moistened thumb over her throbbing love button at the same time. Only he didn't stop when she began to shudder violently and claw at his arms to get away from the intense oversensitivity brought on by his insistent fingers. He forced her sensitive flesh to endure pure torture, another, much less discreet orgasm. Beautiful. My beautiful Susan. He whispered as her ragged gasps reached their crescendo. All the while, he ran a soothing hand up and down the quaking muscles of her lower back. She dug her nails into his thick forearm in retribution, panting like a marathon runner, as she rode out the almost painful climax. Bastard. Susan's fist thumped half-heartedly against his chest as she finally opened her eyes. Her body twitched fitfully for several delicious minutes before she could eventually relax. Flexing herself up and off those wicked fingers of his, the witch attacked her lover with a firm kiss, shoving her tongue down his throat. The dragon chuckled contentedly, meeting her passion with his own softer vigor. Beside them, it was all Haley could do to stop herself fidgeting. She couldn't believe he just fingered Susan right there and then, coaxing two orgasms from the herbalist in quick succession. Her panties were swampy enough to be a malaria risk, which she found surprising in its own right. In her wildest fantasies, she'd never even considered exhibitionism as something she would find arousing. Though Warbison couldn't help wondering if he was going to be just as bold and forceful with her, Susan extracted herself a little while later, smiling like the Cheshire cat. Chris got up to escort her to her bedroom but paused as the scent of excited young Warbison caught the attention of his refined dragon snout. Haley was mortified as he loomed over her, grinning knowingly. She couldn't meet his twinkling blue eyes as he leaned in to whisper jauntily in her ear. That'll be a dollar for the show, Mistress Voyeur. Put simply, Haley was mortified. As he followed Susan to tuck her into bed and wash up, she was left impersonating a beetroot on the sofa. A quick, nervous glance over at the dragonesses confirmed that her distress hadn't gone unnoticed. The sprites sprawled on the rug at their feet gave her a cheeky wink. That was hot. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Petra shrugged, guessing Haley's inner conflict. Susan's got the right idea, you know. You've got to be bold around here. If you want some loving, just make a move on him. So long as you're not interrupting, or stealing someone's night, no one's going to object. I don't mind an interruption or two. Emmy rolled onto her side to smile encouragingly at Haley. So long as I get to return the favor. None of us mind a little public fun like you just saw. Claire continued helpfully as something exploded spectacularly on the television screen. But if you want some privacy, just drag him off into a bedroom. What's all this conspiring? Chris boomed, strutting out of the bathroom as he fanned the last traces of warm water off his hands. We're just explaining a few things. Girl stuff, you probably wouldn't understand. Petra smirked at the cocky male. He was in a fine, draconic mood this evening. Now get those magic hands over here. After watching that, I'm in a mood to put them to good use myself. Yes, ma'am. He swaggered over to the dragoness's couch, preparing to squeeze in beside her. On your knees? Petra bit her lower lip sexily. Claire giggled at her side, sensing her mother's mischievous mood. Chris couldn't believe his luck, and compiled eagerly, licking his lips in anticipation as she spread her shapely thighs. Petra raised her dainty feet up onto his chest, settling down in the seat in what he read as an obvious invitation to growl at the badger. His dragon was almost beside himself at that point. She'd never initiated sex so publicly before, oral or otherwise. It was exciting, and he was itching for more after his little appetizer with Susan. 
MMH, that's right. Petra purred teasingly. Practically bursting with eagerness at the scent of her arousal, he took hold of her ankles and began leaning in to claim his after-dinner treat. Ah! I meant a foot rub you randy brute. Petra's indignation was perfectly delivered as his face came within inches of her concealed sex. I'm not some sexed-up vampire to let you do that to me out in the open. This is my daughter sitting next to me, young man. Damn it, woman. He laughed, slumping down onto his haunches in defeat. I should have known it was too good to be true. Michelle will thank me. Go on then, a foot rub it is. Chris laughed at himself. Shaking his head, he turned toward the TV and sat on the floor next to Immy, his back to the couch. Petra arranged her legs to rest over his shoulders, so her feet dangled down onto his chest. He claimed her right foot and set to, playing over the small muscles in the sole. Oh, that's it. Petra hissed in bliss as he squeezed her heel, pressing his thumb into the knots of her arch. She loved wearing high heels, but it played hell on her poor feet. This was just what she needed. Chris chuffed, planting a kiss on her toned calf muscle as she squirmed delightedly behind him. Tell me if I'm pressing too hard. He targeted a particularly tense bundle of nerves. Yes. Her voice quavered, undecided between pleasure and pain as he worked her over. Oh shit, this is almost as good as sex. Who have you been practicing on? Thanks. Mostly Susan. He admitted, moving to gently tug and squeeze her toes, warming his fingers between the gaps. Me next. Emmy murmured, mesmerized as he laid the worldly dragoness low with another ungodly spasm of foot pleasure. She'd never heard of such a thing, were her feet really that sensitive. I must experience this dark wizardry. Ah, but, but. I'm not done with him. The blonde groaned in rapture, limply thrashing back into the leather cushion. She squeezed his head between lush thighs, obstructing any potential attempt at drawing him away. Come back next month. Damn, mom, you're a freak. Claire laughed beside her. Don't knock it until he gets his hands on you. Petra moaned back. The movie played out as Chris did the rounds, treating Petra, Immy, Claire, and finally Haley to his best masseuse efforts. Immy was hilarious, yelping and yanking her little blue feet away from him in surprise at every new sensation or ticklish frisson. Haley had to be convinced a little, but she bowed to peer pressure in the end and really enjoyed the massage. She decided he might be forgiven for embarrassing her earlier after a few more diligent sessions like that. Only Petra looked like she wanted to pounce on him. The expression in those enchanting green eyes promised that if he was hers that night, he would not be getting any sleep. The sweet, earthy, almost minty scent of her mating pheromones diffused thick in the air, driving his cock to diamond-cutting hardness when he worked his way around the room back to her. He hadn't smelled much of those since she'd become pregnant, but he was delighted to find a new soft spot with a direct link to her heart. Of course, this loss of control on Petra's part elicited endless teasing from her daughter. Chris suspected that Petra really was a little foot freaky. That would have to be explored. It would have to wait for another night, though, because Michelle finished sending off her after-action report. She laid claim to him soon after he'd started in on pampering Petra's feet once again. Together, they wished everyone a good night, and Chris did the obligatory round of kisses before following Michelle into her room. The two of them looked contemplatively at each other for a moment once the door closed. By unspoken agreement, they began throwing off their clothes with eager abandon. Chris was primed to bursting from the evening's teasing. With a triumphant growl, he kicked out of his borrowed track pants and tackled the olive-skinned beauty onto the bed. Michelle let out a frolicsome shriek, her utilitarian black underwear halfway down her toned legs as she was borne down by a wall of masculinity. She rolled with him, exercising martial training to employ his momentum and come up on top. Victorious, she pushed his shoulders roughly into the bedding, giving her a chance to admire the massive erection pressing hot between their bodies. He seemed quite taken with her breasts so she distracted him with free reign of her tender delights as she finished divesting herself of her panties. He didn't waste time, and soon her shy little nipples were coaxed out into the open by a warm tongue and gentle suction. Straddling him, Michelle bit her lower lip, eyes locked with his as he suckled and stroked her flanks. It wasn't until he gripped her thigh and she gasped in pain that he noticed she was injured. That put a pause on things for a while. The large bruise was blackening right in the middle of her sleek right quadriceps. It was a nasty, motley, bluish thing with several abrasions and patches of weepy, scraped skin to go along with it. Chris realized she must have been in pain every time she put her foot down. Michelle earned a stern rebuke for sitting all the way through the evening without seeking his help. 
The tired agent just sighed as he rolled her onto her side and proceeded to lap at the area with his broad, warm tongue. His cooling, healing saliva killed the dull throbbing in moments, replacing it with a maddening tingle. After curing her nearsightedness, and the wonders it worked on Pamela's leg, she should have known he could handle a bruise. But the efficacy of the instant relief made her prop herself up on an elbow to watch. He was entirely focused as he lapped back and forth meticulously across the hand-sized bruise. After five minutes, it had faded all the way through the spectrum to a patchy yellow, and the pain was almost completely gone. That was enough for Michelle. She rolled on top of him, indulging him with another few minutes of unlimited exploration of her breasts as a reward. Michelle smiled contentedly as he nibbled, snuffled, and generally went to hog heaven. It was sort of flattering that he seemed to like them so much. She peppered kisses in his hair and stroked his ears as he played, returning his affection wholeheartedly. It's time for our debrief. She eventually purred, pulling her modest tit away from him with the slurp of broken suction. She kissed him hard, finding his tongue with hers as she reached between them to cradle the head of his throbbing cock. He started wrapping those solid, trunk-like arms around her, but she pushed up onto her knees, towering over him imperiously. I was promised the opportunity to try giving you rugburn. Asian Hammond, that sounds decidedly unprofessional. Chris smirked, throwing her own words back at her even as he claimed firm handfuls of her taut ass. Oh, God. She trembled as he dragged her dewy sex up his sternum, squishing her tender labia against his skin. It was obvious he was eager to do this for her, and just that knowledge made her leak like a faucet. He paused teasingly, leaving her momentarily stranded as a cocksure grin sprouted on his face. Blue eyes unfocused momentarily as he concentrated, then an inhumanly elongated, serpentine forked tongue slithered out to wet his grinning lips. Her whole body tingled in excited, almost fearful anticipation as he drew her steaming sex the final inches toward that beastly, magical appendage. That's not fair, Chris. Look at it. Fuck professional. M-H-H-H. He chuckled, taking a deep breath to savor the scent of her muggy arousal. Don't I always? Michelle decided to let his ego, and that terrible joke, go unchecked. Instead, she concentrated on easing her almost ragged breathing as he leaned up to meet her throbbing clitoris with the gentlest kiss. She moaned, and they shuffled for balance, her hands finding their way into his messy hair as he positioned her to sit directly over his mouth. Infuriatingly, he just held her, barely in reach, gently feathering his lips across her sex. Strong hands supported her thighs like she weighed nothing at all as his nose buried itself in the dark triangle of her groomed little muff. She could feel him scenting her, his breath hot on her sensitive, plump folds. It was a maddening tease, and she began hunching her hips, pushing down for more stimulation. Chris! She keened as he unexpectedly wormed that wicked tongue past her lips and right up inside her. Michelle grasped fistfuls of his hair, shuddering in frozen bliss as he slithered deeper and deeper. He was hot and thick and sinfully slippery. For all her bravado, she was by no means experienced in the intricacies of such carnal arts. But this was exquisite. She dropped her weight onto his face, crying out as he sought out a particularly sensitive patch of pinkness and worried the forked tips of his tongue across it. Fluid and heat practically splashed inside her as he shoved her forcefully toward the precipice of orgasm. Not that anyone could tell, but Chris was smiling from ear to ear as he listened to every clue her live body gave him. He took pride in pleasuring her, drawing out animalistic cries of joy from his steadfast, hardworking, very little nonsense Michelle. She was really leaking now, her slippery fluids bathing his chin, moistening the curls of her pubic hair. That beautiful forest was tickling his nose, rubbing across his upper lip with the aforementioned promise of friction burn as her little pleasure motor churned up to maximum torque. She didn't taste as sweet as his dragonesses, but she was undoubtedly all fresh, clean, ripe woman. His dragon purred inside his chest, relishing the soft sensation, the taste of her eager sex. The bossy beast was a good source of tips, like curling his tongue backward inside her, creating a bulge of wriggling muscle against her most reactive zones that he modulated her increasingly desperate bucking with firm handholds on her hips. Chuckling to himself as her brown eyes closed, and she really began to shudder, he dined to his heart's content as she moaned above him. For his coup de grace, the dragon pushed his nose down into the bud of soft flesh hiding her throbbing clit and began motorboating back and forth. Michelle screamed, high and piercing, collapsing sideways under a barrage of pleasure impulses. She pulled roughly at his hair as her climax exploded. Her whole body seized, electrocuted by spasms of pleasure, as he followed her over, 
squirming his tongue even deeper within her gushing pussy. She couldn't breathe, muscles locked as blissful lightning burned through her nervous system. Lean, powerful thighs clamped around his neck, attempting to crush him. The music of her breathless grunts and cries was lost to him as his ears were smothered against squeezing warmth. Still, he lapped at her, slurping, wriggling his inhuman tongue in the tepid sea of her delight. Her bouquet ripened, saturated with the metabolites of overstimulated muscles, thickening with the release of tacky lubricant from deeper within her. His enchantment was coming along nicely then, and her body was instinctively preparing itself to be bred. There was no respite, no relief as he bulldozed her thrumming little bean this way and that with his nose. His huge hands tugged on her hips, pulling her sex tighter against his mouth, creating a seal. Michelle could only gurgle weak protest as he began sucking the already beleaguered, swollen folds of her labia, harvesting the molten juice right out of her box like some damn anteater. He stayed inside her until it was over, flicking back and forth far deeper than was reasonable, far deeper than should be possible. He forced her to pulse and squeeze him with her with every echo of carnal satisfaction. Finally, mercifully, that dragon damn tongue was replaced with tender kisses to her swollen, reddened lips. Then she could actually catch her breath. Few of Michelle's infrequent, abortive lovers over the years had come anywhere close to preparing her for that. Her entire body was flushed and warm, still quivering with disruptive aftershocks. She played her hand absently through his hair, cupping his ear as he playfully nibbled her inner thigh. His blue eyes were earnest and happy when she looked down her body. He planted a firmer kiss right over her opening before pulling reluctantly away to rest his cheek on her thigh. That was awesome. He blinked contentedly, her moisture glistening all over his chin and mouth. I have to admit, Michelle, I'm incredibly aroused by how violently you climax. It's so sexy the way you lose control like that. Let's me know I'm close to the target. Close to the fucking target? She laughed shakily, playing a finger across his handsome, come glistening jaw. Jesus, Chris, you're hitting the bullseye with every shot in the magazine. Actually. He turned his head to nip playfully at her soft skin. I haven't fired a shot yet, but don't worry, I'm sure I'll end up hitting something vital. It's a large magazine, custom-built. His pronouncement sent a shiver of renewed desire up her spine. You're technically correct, the sexiest type of correct. You're also horrible, and much too sure of yourself. But I'm yet to not come my mind out when I'm with you, so the evidence would suggest you're not entirely full of shit. Michelle sighed, returning a doting smile. Somewhere in the midst of that, I think I was planning to tell you about a couple of off-the-book assignments I need you to take care of. Clearly, I underestimated the immersive nature of the experience. Anyway, I've been building cases around a few people who could use a visit from an angel or two and the big bad dragon. Okay, sure, but I've got to warn you, I'm the good dragon. I only visit good girls who deserve sweet, sweet loving. Girls, huh? Michelle arched a dark eyebrow challengingly. Semantics. Chris rumbled, extracting himself and rising laboriously to his hands and knees. Above her, he seemed an absolute monster compared to her sleek, toned femininity. With gentle nudges, he coaxed her onto her back, snuffling his way up her smooth, bronze skin until they were eye to eye. You definitely deserve sweet loving. Are you sure you aren't the bad dragon? She eyed the towering erection pointing up at her from between his legs. The prodigious helmet was already bright red and leaking. Her pussy squirmed, completely recovered and eagerly preparing a lavish reception. How do I get a hold of him? Just say the word. He kissed her, giving her no option but to taste herself on his slightly swollen lips. Michelle moaned, wrapping her legs up around his torso. She wiggled her hips down into the duvet, instinctively aligning her pelvis for mating as their tongues dueled. His mighty cock brushed hot against her tummy, setting the muscles inside her grasping eagerly at nothing. I asked you to ruin me, didn't I? She whispered, coiling her arms around his neck. As you wish. He smiled, kissing the tip of her nose in a final act of tenderness. The request took a little consideration on his part. Chris began kissing roughly down her throat as he thought out a plan. Despite her eagerness, Michelle wasn't nearly as indestructible as Lillian or even Petra. Without restraint on his part, he might seriously hurt her in the throes of unrestrained passion. What he needed wasn't just brute strength or savage fucking, but a prolonged assault. He needed to give her pleasure until her body failed, until her mind drifted away. Chris smiled against her warm skin. That didn't mean he couldn't be a little rough or domineering. Satisfied with his budding plan, he rolled them to the edge of the bed, dragging her but to hang off the edge as he stood above her. 
Those beautiful dark eyes of hers were huge as he aligned their glistening sexes, rubbing himself through her rosy cleft. He slipped inside her exquisite warmth with a contented sigh, savoring the exquisite feel of her lips spreading tightly over his crown. Closing his eyes in delight, he held still as she squeezed his first few inches. The enchantment's working. She cooed up at him from behind fluttering eyelids, her fingers probing their taut junction. MMHH, that's nice. I feel all full and stretched, but it's perfect. I'm aiming a little higher than nice. He growled, grinning triumphantly. Leaning down above her, Chris collected her legs over his arms and worked his hands beneath her lower back. Hold on, Michelle. What? Unguy. She let out a bass grunt as he stood up, pulling her into the air. In the same motion, his cock sank steadily inside her. There was no doubt his spell was working. Watching her eyes closely, he slowly, gently let her weight press down onto him. His throbbing member was deliciously enveloped, sliding deeper and deeper through her snug channel until barely a few inches were left outside. Michelle huffed in his arms, bucking her hips, flicking her short mane of black hair aside like a rutted mare. She was full like never before, so lost in the overwhelming sensation that she barely noticed when he crowded her against the nearest wall. She definitely noticed when he began to fuck her though that he wasn't gentle, pushing into her with long, powerful strokes of his cream-smeared cock. Gia-ha-ha-ha. Michelle cried, gripping, clawing at his arms against the storm of sensations. Bracing her shoulders against the wallpaper, she began to fuck him right back with a body honed for fitness. Through pleasure-squinted eyes, the agent demanded a smooch, tilting her chin up as an orgasm rapidly stirred in her frothing loins. When he hunched to meet her lips, he slipped deeper still, eliciting a yelp of astonished pleasure as he butted her enhanced cervix. He smiled roguishly into their kiss, panting, releasing one of his supporting hands to thumb her clit.i in the back of her mind. As her system began to overload and short out at that undeniable stimuli, she thought it was no wonder people called it a button. Michelle came on demand as he stirred his stallion-like cock within her, nudging gently at the eagerly dilating entrance to her womb. Even as she shook and wailed her pleasure through the walls for all his brood to hear, he embraced his dragon and changed. Michelle's cries died in an astonished gurgle as she processed that a wave of purple scales was propagating up over his shoulders. Great wings sprouted to tower above them both, casting their rutting bodies in shadow. She felt him grow fractionally thicker inside her, becoming more pointed as he retook his grip on her ass and pulled her off the wall. Her first orgasm wasn't even properly over as he began manhandling her swollen pussy up and down his monolithic erection in a perfect, easy rhythm with his hunching hips. To this enormously powerful being, she must weigh nothing. There was something intensely primitive and vastly erotic for her about being held so helplessly, suspended in the air and absolutely taken. She was a toy, his toy. To be used and loved however, and whenever it pleased him. He was a dragon, she, his brood, but it went so much deeper than that. She could feel that she was loved, deeply loved. Every cell in her body somehow knew the truth of it as he took her, instinctively sensing the potency of magical energies that swirled between them. Every mutual cry of joy, every slap of flesh against flesh, every slurp and squelch of their weeping sexes strengthened the bond between them. Perhaps it was the potency of his pheromones in this hybrid form, but Michelle suddenly felt the overwhelming draw to coax out his seed. It was becoming a need, a raging inferno in her quivering loins. For the first time in her life, she did something she'd read about years ago and began trying to actively squeeze down on him as he pulled away on the backstroke. Yes. The dragon hissed his approval, lips curling back to reveal a maw of frightening white teeth. She understood now, the urge to breathe that Annabelle admitted she struggled with. It was there in the back of her mind, whispering how wonderful it would be to succumb to his love, to the urgent potency of this male. It would be wonderful to swell with his offspring, wouldn't it? How beautiful and fulfilling would motherhood be with such an attentive, capable mate? Chris watched her succumb, felt her body flush and shudder. She began writhing against him with renewed eagerness, clawing desperately at his shoulders and kicking her heels against his flanks. Driven inarticulate with passion and pheromones, Michelle grunted and whimpered against him as he began bunny-fucking her. That's what Annabelle liked to call it anyway, when he fucked her fast and shallow, pulling his fat knob repeatedly over her G-spot. Her ass wasn't nearly as large and soft as Lillian's, nor as bubbly and well-formed as Annabelle's. It was thin, muscular, and very firm. It was a cute but a very fit but that matched the rest of her athletic body perfectly. In fact, he could almost completely grab each smooth cheek in his big hands. 
This turned out to be the perfect way to support their strenuous, frantic mating as they both raced toward release. The shudders announcing his imminent orgasm began in the thick root of his cock, his balls pulling close and his shaft throbbing harder. Chris hissed in delight, bucking his hips up into her as she cried out, his dick bathed in luscious, pink warmth. Michelle was really into the flow of milking him now, loving the extra friction her enthusiastic undulations brought, and especially the way her clit sometimes brushed across the top of his shaft. She could feel him swell, harden and thicken in ways that were entirely unfair to her already stuffed womanhood. Her pleasured cries were turning to wanton, unashamed pleas now, nuzzling under his jaw, coaxing, and finally begging for his seed. Well, she'd asked him to ruin her, hadn't she? They both froze, their climax mutual and completely unrestrained. Even as his viscous white ejaculate raced up his shaft, the dragon pulled her downward roughly. He snarled blissfully, probing for the correct angle as his first thick blast splattered point-blank against her cervix. Michelle ululated primal satisfaction as he found his mark, the delightful heat of his seed blooming deeper, flooding into her depths. A as she shook uncontrollably. Michelle pressed her forehead against the chiseled pectoral and screamed. Her body tried to retreat from the intense stimulation. Back arching, fingers scratching, she shook, knees trying to reach her armpits and curl herself into a ball. It was too much. Something alien roared into her with his every spurt. She had to get away lest it sweep her out of existence. It was no use, of course. She was suspended and very thoroughly impaled. The dragon was not about to release his toy in the midst of his own lengthy climax. All her flexing about simply made the sensation of fullness stronger as her poor little quim spasmed its heart out in a credible attempt to strangle the beefy intruder. Michelle forced herself to take a gasping breath lest she pass out, opening her eyes to look down between their sweaty, heaving bodies. Below their streaky coupling, the last of his thick shaft and his enormous testicles pulsed rhythmically. He was throbbing. She breathed out an indignant little huff, witnessing his cock buck, his veins bulge as she was rhythmically inseminated. In sync with each throb, her womb was inundated anew, absolutely flooded with molten dragon cum. There was simply too much, it was already beginning to reluctantly overflow around their tight joining. When she looked up, he met her eyes defiantly, daring her to object. Michelle watched as a shudder passed through his powerful body. The dragon closed his eyes, a stupid, toothy grin splitting his face as he suffered in the throes of his long orgasm. She felt inordinately proud for giving him such unrestrained pleasure. Pulling herself upward, she kissed him thoroughly as his precious seed dripped to the floor. They kept kissing, and Michelle crooned and hummed throaty approval as he finished inside her with a lazy stirring of his hips. When he was finally done, the floor beneath them was a puddle of sex. His balls and thighs were streaked with his excess. It was a truly monstrous amount of semen, like something out of one of her naughty old manga comics. It was still leaking from their snug coupling, and her butthole was winking desperately. Whether to get his stuff inside or keep it out, Michelle wasn't sure. She was blissfully satisfied, heavy all over and weak to boot as Chris knelt and placed her gently back on the bed. Exhaustion had been dogging her all day after the taxing mission, and this now seemed the perfect opportunity to drift off to sleep. It would be so easy. It was nice with him cuddled above her, still ensconced happily inside her but carefully supporting most of his bulk so she could recover her breath. His continued hardness should have been warning enough, but Michelle wasn't yet used to the dragon's formidable appetites. She anticipated a cozy post-sex snuggle, perhaps a bleary-eyed shower together if she could be bothered, and then bed dad he was kissing her shoulders, nosing into her neck. Finally, he slithered out of her with a slippery pop, leaving her leaking and gaping. She could feel the outrush of seed, feel her opening pulse in his manhood's prodigious absence. It was gross, and somehow perfect at the same time. She didn't realize anything was amiss as he rolled her onto her front and crawled on top of her. Only when he took hold of her slim waist and bullied his huge, cream and purple dragon cock up and down her tired labia did she understand that he wasn't anywhere near done with her. Michelle gasped as he slid back inside her with a lewd squelch of trapped air. Her head shot up in alarm as he began playing just his fat knob in and out. Her throbbing labia were coaxed to repeatedly spread over his thickest part, squeezing and nipping at his sensitive ridge. Chris! She whimpered ineffectively, softly bucking her hips. It stung a little as he stretched her, but her protest was more for her beleaguered clitoris, which was also receiving more than a fair share of overstimulation from his efforts. Over her shoulder, the large dragon man got his feet flat on the bed and actually squatted over her butt. She couldn't look away from the sight of his glistening shaft as he growled and sank back into her tired, messy womanhood. 
She moaned then, his girthy helmet probing deeper than ever, demanding that she make room. Michelle couldn't believe it, she was so full, his heavy, purple balls pressed hot and soft against the backs of her thighs. Even then, he took her hips in hand and pressed down into the bed. Those huge wings of his shuffled, spreading to either side to provide support for his bulk in the midst of the precarious mount. With a satisfied growl, he deepened the squat still further, initiating a deep, reverse mating press. A an astonished rush of air left Michelle's lungs and her right leg kicked out involuntarily. Fuck, Chris. You're deep, that's enough. She scowled back at him, slapping tiredly at his thigh. She dragged herself up the bed a little so he wasn't pressing in too much. It wasn't painful exactly, his enchantment saw to that. However, the sensation of him pressing into her newly reinforced cervix was still foreign and intense, especially right after an orgasm. His interest also hinted that the randy beast might just try to worm his way deeper if she gave him half the chance. The dragon retreated, going back down onto his hands and knees so he wasn't so far inside. Curling his large body over hers, he took her chin tenderly in a massive talon hand and kissed the rebuke off her lips. Sorry, beautiful, I'm getting carried away. You make me want to do unspeakable things together. Breath still not entirely under control, Michelle kissed him back, mollified and thrilled that she was having an equal effect on him. He did feel really good in her, hot and hard and so damn thick she was at risk of going permanently cross-eyed. Their lazy canoodling broke when he started collecting pillows to stuff beneath her hips. She could feel his phallus bucking and twitching eagerly within her, preparing for a nice long fuck as he propped her up. Smiling all the while, Michelle resigned herself to the inevitable. Lifting her hips as he directed, she got herself comfortable and tried to relax, as much as one could given her situation. So much for sleep. Apparently satisfied with the logistics, Chris finally began to pump down into her. Michelle was just getting back into the swing of his slow, firm strokes when he paused maddeningly. Over her shoulder, she couldn't restrain an exasperated little huff escaping her lips. Apparently, he was rather taken with the squatting arrangement he'd had before. He repositioned carefully, almost tenderly, which she found endearing but not enough to stop her teasing. Make up your mind. She quipped back at him. I think I have. The dragon growled in her ear, massaging strong hands up her sweaty back until he had her shoulders. Michelle shivered at his tone, combined with the sensation of his balls dragging softly, slowly across the tiny hairs on the back of her thighs. His shaft withdrew to the tip, bucking, holding her vulva spread fully open for a second before he sighed and pushed deep once more. Slipping his grip to her upper arms, Chris gently pulled her torso back into an arch Michelle squealed, kicking uselessly at the duvet with sex-twitchy legs. Her arms and the muscles of her back shook as he began to take long, torturously slow thrusts, slicing through her ardent, filthy little pussy. Her body rebelled, helpless against the delicious intrusion, the domination and control he exerted. In mere minutes she quivered and squirmed through a climax, eventually going limp. Still, he fucked her. For a while, she just focused on her breathing, relaxing every muscle in her body and letting the pleasure flow through her. He was a machine, not letting up his measured pace for even a moment, heedless to her cries of both encouragement and reprieve. Sweat began to bead unbidden all across her skin, then pour off her in salty streams. Still, he thrust inside her. She was a panting ragdoll, doing almost nothing yet out of breath and dripping. The raging furnace he stoked deep in her capitulating womanhood seemed to be sucking all the oxygen out of her blood. Michelle couldn't say it was wasted though, used as it was to smelt wave after wave of mind-addling ecstasy in her core. She came. She came. She came again, tearing at the bedding this time. Her belly quivering, tits jiggling, thighs tensing, and toes most definitely curling, she came. Still, he made love to her. It was tantric, whatever he was doing to her. World-altering, mind-bending sex, and it should definitely be illegal. Time seemed to blend, to merge into a continuous blur of torturous, exultant pleasure. Still, he took her. I see, can't, I can't. Michelle begged now and she didn't care. Another enormous crescendo reared up inside her. This one promised to wash her away, erase every part of her except the terrible fullness, the straining muscles, the wonderfully slippery friction, and their linked, labored breath. If he didn't stop soon, she was going to, going to. I'll be the judge of that. The dragon whispered darkly, pushing her firmly down into the bed of pillows. She was his. The noise that rose up out of Michelle's throat was primordial. A wordless mating cry that started low and guttural, finishing in a breathless shriek as he rode her over the cliff like a lathered mare 
For a moment there, she thought she might actually be dying. She was paralyzed, gasping at too hot air, completely unable to muster a response from overloaded, oxygen-deprived muscles and nerves. Then the unchained ecstasy swept upward through her exhausted body, plucking her consciousness away to soar and mate with him amongst fluffy clouds of bliss. The dragon chuckled evilly as she succumbed for the umpteenth time. Through broken, ragged breath, he toyed the delicate butt of her earlobe between draconian teeth, snuffling lovingly into her dark, saturated hair. Down below, he still stirred, slowly thrusting his cock through her juicy, spasming climax. Sharp white teeth administered judicious nips across her neck and shoulders, the little spikes of pain seeming to drive her higher still dot he groaned in absolute satisfaction, as her orgasm finally died. Her tightest steps were imparting the most incredibly sinful caress to the sensitive frenulum on the underside of his knob. He was loath to stop now, so he decided not to. See? Now that wasn't so bad, was it? The dragon murmured teasingly, kissing her sweaty scalp as her eyelids fluttered open. You don't seem anywhere near ruined to me yet. That night, he wrung every ounce of pleasure he could from her tired body, truly initiating her into the debauchery of being his brewmate. For over an hour he made slow, passionate love to her. After that most recent climax, she was insensate for a while. But they went full circle, and he eventually had her begging for his seed once more. She was already full, so when it he could hold out no longer, the dragon flipped her back over and pulled his cream-slathered cock free of her spent, throbbing sex. Spraying himself across her supple, lightly bronze skin was a delight, and he left her absolutely covered. Fat pearly streaks gleamed across her pubic hair, tummy, and bikini-lined breasts. Her eyes were held gently closed against the ribbons of the creamy, pungent stuff that gushed all the way up to adorn her face. It was even in her dark hair and splattered on the remaining pillows above her on the queen bed. For several minutes afterwards, they just lay watching each other, as she lazily ran a finger through his cooling stuff, occasionally bringing it to her mouth for sampling. Drained though he was, it was incredibly thrilling that her eyes never left his as she licked her fingers clean. When Chris leaned closer to scoop up a thumbload from the little muscles of her tummy to join in the fun, the intensity of her unflinching gaze caught him off guard. She seemed, something had changed. It took a second or two of studying her face until he realized that what they'd done had deeper meaning for her than their first encounter. She'd said they'd be fuck buddies, but her soulful brown eyes told a completely different story now. You're really mine now, aren't you? He asked gently as her pink tongue wrapped itself around his thumb and tasted his cinnamon-salty essence. Michelle nodded, eyes laser-focused on him still as she sucked his spunk right off his digit. She swallowed happily. And after the revelation, he paused, wondering if he should even ask. Not that he'd hold her to anything, it would always be her choice. But if he was right. After everything settled down, do you think we might- Yes, Chris. She smiled exhaustedly, finally finding her voice. We can talk about having children. That's on the table now, everything is. Michelle. He brushed her cheek, stroking some damp hair behind her ear. He kissed her forehead tenderly. Damn one-track mind. She murmured with a weak smile on her lips. Too much of Petra's breeding talk, telling you what a stud you are, that she adores your cock, and how she wants five hundred of your babies. I am what I am. He shrugged a little bashfully, which was quite unusual while sharing so much of the dragon. There's more to me than just dragon, as Lillian proved. Perhaps I have an imperative to spread that side of me. All I know is the thought of my mate's swelling bellies is hot as hell. The idea of a whole passel of happy little ones running around underfoot is deeply contenting. A long, intense pause followed. Finally breaking eye contact, Michelle leaned in to peck his lips. It seemed right to offer a little reassurance. I'm not promising anything, Chris. But we'll see. Petra isn't fucking wrong about the first two bits, that's for sure. Michelle looked accusingly down across her body at his finally limp, sex-smeared penis. Well, I can't walk. So you're going to have to carry me to the shower. I look like someone bombed a damn dairy processing facility. Minus the hordes of small creatures come out to lap at the spoils. He guffawed at the image. I can get him in here if you want. Michelle only just managed to slap lazily at his brawny arm in retaliation. To the shower, lover. Giddy up before I pass out. So Chris did just that. She was almost completely limp in his arms, but he sat her on the floor of the shower with a warm flow pattering down. He found some spare sheets and pillowcases and had the bed cleaned up nicely before he went back to join her. That night, he stayed in his hybrid form, curling protectively around her smaller body. 
One of his big, clawed hands lay possessively over her lower abdomen. He worked a stealthy bit of magic as she drifted off, catalyzing the energy he'd given her to fuel her vitality and resilience. She seemed so tired and overworked much of the time. That was probably his fault on this particular occasion, but she had a lot of catching up to do on his other brewmates. He wanted her healthy, strong, and safe, his tenacious Michelle. She woke twice in the night, groaning weak protest as the insatiable dragon rolled into her saddle. He entered her for brief, passionate bouts of lovemaking, finishing quickly, deeply, and telling her to get some sleep. That's what she was trying to do, the big, lovable idiot. Exhausted though she was, Michelle still found herself enjoying every moment of his midnight teenage eager advances. Both times, she found herself succumbing too easily to the pleasure. In a way, it reminded her of her first few months of sexual activity with her boyfriend back in high school. They were so horny and tireless then that they could easily stay up half the night, humping like rabbits. Inevitably they would just be stupidly smiling zombies the next day, no good for classes at all. Twice Michelle fell back asleep with her womb throbbing full of his magic-laden seed, never bothering to wonder where his last virile effort had disappeared to. There was a decided spring in Susan's step as she walked down the snowy sidewalk. The witch smiled at her fellow pedestrians, wishing any of the bundled-up ambulators who met her eyes a cheery good morning. That earned her a few funny looks, but she didn't care one bit. Wrapped snugly herself in padded jeans, a lovely cashmere blouse, windproof ski jacket, mittens, and a fuzzy cap, not even the near-freezing temperature could dull the luster of her good mood. Before dawn, Chris had slipped into her room with a freshly steaming mug of coffee. Then he'd slipped into her bed and into her. He'd started with kisses as she woke up, working a hand under her t-shirt to caress and tease her breasts. Her nipples had been thoroughly molested when she tried playing coy, which she supposed she deserved. It hadn't taken him long to get down to business though, pulling her knees up between them as they lay facing each other on their sides. He slipped inside her easily, and they grinned conspiratorially at each other in the dim light. It was a joyful, simple rutting as they attempted to keep the volume down and not wake up the rest of the house. As she carefully navigated the treacherous, sometimes icy footing on her way to work, the witch was reminded of his conquests with every step. Her womanhood was still a little sensitive, brushing maddeningly against the lacy gusset of her favorite pair of underwear. Her thighs were taut, feeling deliciously well-exercised and heavy from all the trembling and bucking they'd done. Indeed, her entire body was flush with his potent magic, practically overflowing with a sense of love and vitality. No wonder the first snowfall of winter couldn't get her down. The product of their lusty efforts pulsed merrily in the large handbags slung over her shoulder. The dozen or so crystals wrapped carefully in black velvet were the combined work of Petra, Claire, and herself over the last several mornings. Susan almost felt a little furtive. Simply carrying so much magic around with her would have seemed absurd a few months ago, but they had to get to Eddard's apothecary somehow. Their production had been disrupted when Chris went down to Brazil and some of her regulars were clamoring for new stock. She wouldn't be surprised if the tenacious young workout lad who ran errands for tomorrow was already waiting for her in the cold. He was often tasked with arriving before she opened, ensuring first pick of the refilled gems. She would make him a nice hot chocolate this morning as consolation for his mistress's honorousness. Denver's eminent enchantress was a demanding customer to be sure, but she always paid top dollar. Tamara dealt with Susan fairly, if with a resigned air of jealousy. The class to which had made more than one barely veiled reference that she would like to be given the opportunity to work with the dragon directly. As if Dot Edwards was really flourishing now. The spry old fellow could even be heard to grumble every now and then that he would be forced to hire someone to man the counter full time. This influx of customers, as word of the gem's availability spread, was starting to deplete some of his other stocks too. When people came to the shop for a crystal, some of them were inevitably drawn into additional purchases. Potions or ingredients were right there in front of them and they would buy for convenience, if not price or necessity. Susan smiled as she recalled the memory of the elderly wizard carefully poring over the last month's accounts and stock take. She'd been watching, absently plucking tips from a praxeus bush as he disbelievingly stroked his white goatee, frowned, scratched his balding head in vexation, and set about rechecking his calculations from the top. Rowan had later sheepishly admitted that the store had never done so much business, thanking her profusely for this turn of fortune in his twilight years. He was an adorable old coot when he wanted to be. The sun was out, trying its best to blind drivers with dazzling reflections as the blissful witch strolled happily on her way to work. Not even the dirty slush their wheels sometimes threw onto the sidewalk bothered her. 
It was held at bay from her pristine sneakers by a thorough treatment of her latest waterproofing potion. They also had a somewhat experimental application of oil extracted from the green seed pods of an old Sassane's vine of Rowan's. She'd coaxed it back into flour two weeks ago, and the magically insulating oil had proved to be a hot-ticket item with the promise of bad weather. Her mind wandered, exploring other ideas she might profitably explore now that winter had arrived. Surely she and Rowan could put their heads together and create some sort of gently warming balm. If it was gentle and nicely fragrant, it could be applied to hands, feet, ears, or noses to keep the extremities comfy in the frosty weather. Perhaps that wasn't her best idea, but she was confident she would come up with something useful. Productively distracted, she rounded the corner and started up the final block before Edwards, completely oblivious that she was being followed. Ahead of her on the street, a parked sedan disgorged two stocky Asian men. It was the flicker of a magical aura that finally drew her attention to them. The timing made her uneasy, but it wasn't unusual to see beings this close to the center of town. She hadn't seen them before, but put the friendly smile back on her face and continued toward them. The sense of unease only grew as she approached. They were looking directly at her, waiting. But she would look so stupid if she turned around and, one of the men, stepped in front of her, blocking her path. Adrenaline surged in her chest. He was fit, perhaps in his mid-thirties and poorly dressed for the cold. Excuse me. She tried, stepping to the side in an attempt to get around him. He was only a little taller than her, but she didn't fancy her chances in any physical confrontation. It all clicked in her mind as he held out his arm to block her path, shaking his head sternly. Petra had mentioned something about a delegation from the Chinese syndicate being in town to petition Rayla for an export license. They were after her crystals. She glanced to her left. The other man was on the street side of the car, opening it to help someone out. The urge to flee was growing, making her heart pound. The man in front of her was a few paces away at least. The other fellow wouldn't be able to get around the car to chase. Susan took her chances, spun on her heel, and with her first bounding step, plowed directly into a tiny, wall of a woman. A an astonished yelp of fright left her mouth as she tumbled backward, spinning through the air with far more force than should have been possible. The sound cut off as her face landed in the dirty pile of snow swept up against the fence separating someone's yard from the street. She was probably lucky it had broken her fall, or the concrete sidewalk might have claimed a few of her teeth. As she spat out a gritty, cold mouthful of the stuff, Susan realized that she was in big trouble. You should be more careful. A quiet, leathery voice spoke in heavily accented English. Shuffling, crunching footsteps announced to Susan that she was being surrounded as she pushed up on her hands and knees. Panic clawed at her as she sputtered out the last of the grimy, freezing slush and brushed off her face. Her entire front was soaked in melting snow, but the sense of cold was detached, irrelevant compared to the fact that her handbag was no longer at her side. Strong hands gripped her upper arms, hauling her upward even as she tried to stand. Don't touch me! She whipped around, struggling free of the hold and backing into the fence. She blinked desperately, blinded by the sunlight and the remaining streaks of snow and gritty water in her eyelashes. My, my, you are a spirited one! The old woman spoke, her kindly smile doing nothing to hide the malevolence in her ancient eyes. A gnarled cane sank deep in the melting snow, as she tottered forward with the help of her underling. Be calm, witch, we are just here to make a business proposition. No, thank you. Susan tried to straighten herself, as she stared wide-eyed at the five people penning her against the fence. She glanced desperately over their heads for help, but as if by magic there was no one else on the street. Not after an ambush like that. I'm leaving, where's my handbag? The small, dark-haired woman who'd somehow sent her flying held her bag in front of her, peering down into its depths with avid, greedy eyes. She seemed far too young to be involved in something like this but Susan suspected a family connection to the leader of this pack of crooks. Give that back! Susan demanded, sounding petulant and desperate even to her own ears. When she started forward to grab it, the young woman darted back nimbly. In an instant, the old woman's cane was between her and her bag, thrumming audibly with power. Now you are being rude! The elderly woman spoke dangerously, enunciating every accented syllable carefully as Susan froze. We are here to do business, and we have come a long way. I have left a peaceful existence on my family lands for first time in fifteen years. I come here to talk to you, to offer a chance for mutual prosperity. Now I find you are a rude woman, perhaps thinking yourself above your class. Susan glowered at the woman, not believing what she was hearing, or that she was being openly accosted at one point in the street. 
Please give me back my purse. No. She spoke more calmly, seething inside as indignation bolstered her courage. How dare they? Whoever they were, they would never speak to her like that in front of Chris. Her jaw twitched in fury. He was at work on the house right now, frustratingly nearby. I don't care how far you've come. This is assault. Good luck explaining this to Lady Narlakis. Do you know how to move a mountain? The old woman smiled enigmatically, slowly lowering her cane wand and completely ignoring the witch's trembling rage. What? Susan frowned, thrown by the sudden change of topic. Her eyes flashed around the stone-faced group, fixing on the younger woman still clutching her handbag. Do you know how to move a mountain? The matriarch repeated, her stern gray bun of hair bobbing slightly as she regarded Susan. Or, I suppose, to make a mountain. No. Give me back my property. To move a mountain, all you need is pressure and time. The ancient said wisely, shuffling carefully across the snow to look down into the handbag proffered by her descendant. Yes. I think we will come to enjoy doing business together. Never. Susan snarled. I will never help a bunch of thieves and crooks. When Chris hears about this, ah, the dragon. The woman rounded with uncanny speed, no longer decrepit as magical strength surged through wiry old muscles. The point of her cane settled featherlight on top of Susan's foot. I wonder what you will do if he don't come home one day. Poof. Vanish in thin air? No crystals to sell then, I think. No excuse to be rude to your betters. Susan trembled, genuinely terrified for the first time as the tip of the woman's cane began pressing down. She tried not to whimper, but one slipped out. The magical pressure in the staff was proliferating, pinning her, threatening to pulverize the small bones beneath. The crazy old bitch would do it too, she understood that now. They'd been so stupid, not bothering to think what sort of attention selling the crystals might bring. Please stop. Susan squeezed between gritted teeth, moisture gathering in her eyes, blurring her vision. It felt like a tractor was parked on top of her foot now, muscle and bone screaming protest to already crushed nerves. The others just watched, unmoved by her plight as their matriarch negotiated. Something gave inside, a quiet crunch that reverberated up her body. Susan gasped in agony, hot tears flowing freely down her cheeks to cool in the brisk air. She was utterly helpless, weak, just standing there wringing her hands like a bug pinned for display. I think you will like doing business with my family. The pressure finally relented, and Susan drew in a ragged, almost choking breath. It was a miracle she didn't collapse. Yes, yes. Do your job, get paid. Never see me again, yes? Susan looked away, ashamed and cowed. Her entire body was shaking. Silence was the only resistance left to her now foot throbbing hot and bruised and broken despite being surrounded by snow. It was all she could do not to curl into a ball and wail. The pain was somehow growing worse now that the pressure had abetted. You see? The old woman gestured around at her cronies in apparent astonishment. Rude. I think we take possession of first shipment right now, compensation for childish behavior. Bad business. Very bad business. Susan spat on the sidewalk as the woman reached a greedy, claw-like hand toward her captured purse. She was proud of her defiant sneer, half expecting it to be the last thing she ever did before being obliterated. The old woman looked slowly down at the congealing, bubbly spittle, then back up at Susan. The smile on her wrinkled face wasn't friendly, instead containing a hint of viscous eagerness. She continued reaching into the bag, eyes flashing as she silently dared the far less powerful witch to do something. Out came the black velvet pouch, heavy and bulging with the individually wrapped gemstones. She murmured something in a foreign dialect, spurring her minions into action. Stolen bounty in hand, she turned back to address the witch. Pressure and time, child. Pressure and time. Remember that. You had best work on your manners before we meet again. I do not think you will enjoy my lessons if I have to instruct you. They left her there, hopping helplessly on the snowy sidewalk as they sedately loaded into their car. Without a backward glance, they drove away, her handbag discarded carelessly in the muck-filled gutter. If it wasn't for the excruciating pain in her foot, she might not have believed that she'd just been robbed. The temptation to sit down in the snow and cry was fierce. She almost did it. Then she wanted to scream, or to run straight into Chris' arms and hear him say it was all okay, that it wasn't her fault. No. Her anger came back then, searing, indignant, and worst of all, impotent. No. Chris would come running, and his fury would be righteous. Then he would be obligated to go after the thieves and get himself into even more trouble. 
He had enough on his plate without worrying about something like this. She was pathetic. Standing there, weak and helpless as she was violated. That would change. It must change. With a snarl of pain, Susan took a few hobbling steps to collect her damp purse. A harsh riffle provided at least some consolation from the encounter. They hadn't taken anything else. Her wallet, Maginette phone, potion kit, notebook, and various other small items and toiletries were all there. Squaring her shoulders, she limped slowly on up the street to Eddard's apothecary. Gone were the thoughts of warming bombs to keep the cold at bay. No more schedules for flowering and management of her precious herbarium. Her mind raced to down much darker paths of self-torment now, though some were not entirely unproductive. Her family, the witch side of it, was not remarkable in the magical world. As far as she knew, they had been primarily healers and potion brewers down the generations. Her own meager gift with magic was passed to her through her father. He'd married a non-magical woman who was bold enough to ask him out to coffee one day. That was no mean feat back in the day, but her father had been exceptionally handsome by all accounts. The following romance, marriage, and ten blissful years of life together was one for the ballads if you believed her mother, who never had an inkling of her husband's magical nature. At the tender age of eight though, Susan's father disappeared. No one could be sure what had happened, but if you knew the man, there was little credit to the idea that he'd run off into the sunset. Even at eight, Susan knew something terrible had happened to her daddy. She knew in her heart that if he could have come back, he would. It destroyed her mother. After six months of near neglect and the languish of her budding magical training, Grandmother Agatha took over Susan's care. And so began the instruction in her family's craft. Susan accompanied her grandmother in her work whenever she wasn't at school. Tending and caring for plants of all kinds, preparing ingredients, minor enchanting, and potion brewing. She had observed and been lovingly prodded to participate by her strict but liberal-minded grandmother. Amongst the flourishing plants, they had grown close, united in the loss of son and father respectively. Either of them were particularly powerful witches. But Agatha explained that the family's real gift lay in the care and understanding of magical plants. They shared an almost instinctual connection with anything green or leafy. Susan fondly remembered warm nights spent in front of a crackling fireplace, pouring through precious, ancient botanical volumes with her grandmother. She was fascinated by the often bizarre diagrams of long-extinct magical species, asking all sorts of questions. Agatha always seemed to know some little fact or other, even if the texts didn't. It was that fascination, that quest for understanding which had taken her to pursue a college degree in plant sciences after her grandmother's passing, amongst the precious books, seed stocks, growing and processing equipment, and a lifetime's general clutter she inherited when Agatha died, Susan had found something truly unusual. It looked like a fist-sized ball of black wax, sort of like some types of fancy cheese came wrapped in. However, attached to a short string melted into the substance was a personal note. Even now, hobbling to streak down a snowy Denver back street, she could remember that faded, looping scrawl word for word. Susan, my lovely granddaughter, I write this, hoping that you will have no need to read it for many years to come. I long to yet have the chance to watch you grow into womanhood, to see you start a family of your own. Nothing would please me more. You have been a candle to brighten the twilight of my years, my solace in the face of a mother's grief. Know that whenever you read this, I love you with all my heart. You're small now, such a curious, patient, soft-souled little girl. Already I can see that our family's gift runs strong in your blood, that you have the temperament. Our lovely plants are living creatures, Susan, less different from you and I than most think. They feel, they rejoice, they suffer, they mate. You are already starting to hear the first whispers of their secret language. They sing in the wind, rule over vast kingdoms in the soil, speak in vibration and sense. Listen for them. S-O-U-C. I already know that I will not destroy this seed, that decision will fall to you. I'm sorry. Pray you will never have a need to sow it. After what it did to my mother, I've been so tempted over the decades to simply fling it into a fire and be done. I've held it over the flame more than once you know, but it may very well be the last of its kind. There is also the small debt I owe it, my life and our family's continued existence, despite the toll it has taken in return. Susan, if you gently steam off the wax you will find a vial containing the seed of a suthozoa. Do not attempt to germinate it unless the need is dire. I believe our family may have the talent, but over the centuries our magic has weakened, as it has with many, and we are no longer strong enough to bear the burden. Never ask another magician about the suthozoa. They will not know, and those few that might still remember are not your friends. This is dangerous. 
I cannot emphasize that enough point one of my books contains more information. I keep it and a few others hidden from your inquisitive little eyes and nimble fingers, for fear of scaring you away from our green friends. I'm sure it is around here somewhere. Take heed of the warnings within. There, I have written it this time without too many tear smudges. The last two attempts were completely illegible. Goodbye, my perfect granddaughter. My sunshine. If I find your father somewhere out there in the beyond, be assured that I'll send him your love. Right after I tan his hide raw, nurture, find love, and chase joy, your doting grandgran, Susan had mulled over the message for months. It was a true mystery, for she never heard reference to any plant, magical or otherwise, named Sothozoa. She was busy making arrangements and studying at the time her grandmother passed. It took almost a year before she had the chance to decipher the hidden tomes she'd found stashed in Agatha's spare cauldron. Inside, she discovered some of the potentially darker aspects of their trade. Mimics, carnivorous plants in many shapes and sizes, effective corpse disposal, preparation and use of some of the most insidious poisons and organic acids in the magical world. There were instructions for some pretty nasty and bizarre stuff. Even then, no reference to the mysterious seed. The convoluted text of the last two books was written in archaic elfish, and it had taken some serious dedication to learn even the basics. But Susan finally found it, and her grandmother's warning made sense. There was an implicit pact involved when you planted the Sothozoa. This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.